The Sisu Way, episode 27, with guest Julian Pinot. This episode is dedicated to Yaya and Jerome. Know yourself. Find what moves you and jump. Jump head first and jump to swim hard. Your dreams are like a raging ocean in the middle of a storm. The bigger they are, the bigger the waves and the more dangerous they become. You don't get to hang on to a buoy and wait for the storm to pass. There is no waiting here. Stay passive and you'll die. Those, those waves will beat you down. You'll quit and drown and die. To fight that storm, you must build a ship. And the bigger your dreams, the, big, the stronger the ship. That ship is what will take you on top of those waves and let you see further than you have ever imagined. That ship is what will take you at such a speed that the wind will hit your face so hard it will hurt. What is that ship made of? Not logistic and money, wood and ropes and metal. You are using the wrong materials. The ship is made of rage against the dying light. The ship is made out of fear of that gray twilight. Fear of going gentle into that good night. I do not know why the only calm I find is in the eye of the storm. I do not know why I cannot find solace anywhere else. I do not know why the savagery of the storm killed my brother, but not me. I do not know why. I do know where the storm is taking me. And I know one thing, drowning is not for me. Burn the questions, burn your doubts, burn who you were, burn everything. See if you can make your soul bleed. This is the Sisu Way, the show about grit, character, gratitude, service, and what it means to choose strength. My name is Scott McGee. I'm a mindful warrior on a path of gratitude and service who loves to connect with unconquerable souls. Now that opening was written by Julian on March 23rd of 2017. And you'll see certain themes that we're going to pull out um, uh, in this episode, little pieces. And, and just, just a note for the listener, um, I had a hard time picking which one of these I wanted to use for the opener because Julian has written some awesome stuff and they're on his Instagram at strongfit1. Now, if you don't know um, who Julian is, allow me to tell you. Julian Pinot's bio reads that he is a humanist, a movement specialist, and founder of StrongFit, which is an intellectual and physical gym that has transcended the actual workout and into an education, a culture. Julian is trained to visualize and correct proper human movement patterns. He has a fascinating ability to diagnose imbalances, find the root of problems, and provide the knowledge so you can become stronger and more fit. To me, Julian is a scientific philosopher who has chosen human movement as his art. But he's also more than that. He is the master of his fate and the captain of his ship. When he's not busy traveling, podcasting, or changing the world, he is raising his daughter in an, in an environment of love and curiosity. He is a man on a journey inward as much as, as he is outward. Now, Julian, I've waited a long time to be able to say, welcome to the Sisu Way. Thank you. 
I've been seeing you do your thing for a while. And you and I, we've been podcasting together, let's see, probably over five years. Oh, yeah. Right? That, that has to be. Uh, I think the Maybe first time. More. Yeah, probably. I, know, I think it was like 2013. Yeah, it had to be 20, 2013 for the podcast. First podcast. And I feel pod- first podcast ever. And I remember reaching out, getting that organized, and then just like hours before the show, I couldn't go because we had that, that school shooting. That it didn't bring a, like a, a bomb at the at the school too. It was Santa Monica College, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. There was a bunch of stuff going on, so yeah. I couldn't go. But I don't know how many times since that we've we've podcasted before. But I will say that I'm. I think I'm like I'm pretty satisfied with the amount of growth I've seen from both of us, actually. Because no, but- from that very beginning, I mean, look, you you were just. Not just, but you were, you were a, a strength coach in Torrance. I was just starting, yes. Yeah. Even though I was 40, I was yeah. just starting. Yeah, no question. Hey, yeah, but we're, hey, we're always just starting, yeah. right? No, I have no issues with it whatsoever. That's the point. You get, that's yeah. the whole point to me. It doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter where you've been, only where you're going. I don't care if you start at 60. And one, one you know, before I get into these interview questions, but one of the things that, I'm going to point out one. We haven't sat down together just face to face, you and I. The closest one is, I think, there was a, an episode where it was you and I and Val. Yeah, we sat down, but I mean, we talked like in yeah, your car, course. going to podcasts, stuff like that. But we never yeah. had the chance to actually go into, yeah, outside of the episode with Val to actually talk. Yeah. Without interruption, without uh, just dig jokes to make the mood lighter or whatever. Yeah. Yes. I don't, I don't know if those will come up here. No, I don't. I don't say it's your style too much. But uh, I also want to point out that we know this, but the listeners don't. I don't think I've ever talked about it publicly. But there was a time where you and I and Jen Wiederstrom were going to start a podcast, yeah. right? And that, and if you guys don't know, Jen is like you know she's hitting it big in the fitness industry as a trainer. She and has a lot. Yeah. yeah, she's like the fitness chick right now, and. We worked hard, we came up with the name, we were playing with logos and figuring all kinds of stuff out, and we were gonna call it Discovering Strength. Mm-hmm. I, I still have the logo. Yeah, see, and it's still, like, I think it's we're It's still all, a good idea, by the yeah, way. Yeah, no, it's still, yeah, yeah, It's absolutely. still a good idea. <laughs> Logistically a nightmare. <laughs> yes, that might be a little bit of an issue now. Yeah. Look, That's what I mean, happened back then, too, by the yeah, way, but yeah. Yeah, especially with uh, schedules, travel, distance. I think she travels more than me now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so making that an actual thing, wouldn't have worked but the idea is fantastic now it would have been worse because we would have started it would have been awesome and then we would have to stop yep well luckily um you're still doing your thing and i get to do this oh, yeah. and we get to connect yep finally right all right so i'm gonna get into this and we're gonna start with and and just again point out some stuff for the listeners as you know Julian is a tremendous infinity pool of information. <laughs> yes. I and do go in rabbit holes, that is true. <laughs> but it's a good thing, and it's always fascinating. Oh, no, it is. And there, even if there's, um, like, hearing you talk about one topic five times, it's still entertaining and useful for me. 
because I'm always learning different yeah. things. The, you're the type of person that's always interesting, at least to me. So I, Thank you. My, one of my goals here is to organize this episode and not mess it up. That's what I need. I need someone to keep me in a yeah. somewhat straight line. And I'm going to try not to get in your way. <laughs> no, that's easy. Just keep me in a straight line. That's all. All right. Uh, so we're going to start um, inward and then we're going to work our way out. I like all it. Right? And so knowing you for, for all these years, listening to you on interviews, reading your stuff, social media, blog, um, and knowing you personally and professionally, and then even doing my own form of studying because luckily for me, you're my friend, but you're also are a mentor to me and you inspire me to, to ask why and to look mm. more into intent and purpose and to dive mm. into knowledge. And again, that's like an infinity pool. So having, looking up at a gigantic mountain, having the vision to look up at a mountain and see an entire system can be overwhelming, but it always starts with one step and focusing on, yeah. on that. So one question I have here is you have, you have suffered hard, you have loved hard, and you've had a lot of loss in your life, mm -hmm. right? Including the death of the, the main influencer of your life around 20 plus years ago. Oh yeah. 25, I think. And so understanding that relationship and what it's meant to you here, right? And moving forward. And I know you've gone through some own um, self-discovery and things with it. Yeah. But, uh, but one of the questions I ask here because I actually really am interested in talking to people. Um, if your brother were able to now meet your daughter hmm. and see you, what do you think he would say to you? It's uh, a very good question. Like the, the one before he went crazy completely at the end, I think he would regret not having been there since she was born. I think he would see that there was a way out, right? He didn't have to kill himself. He didn't have to go crazy. What he was looking for existed, right? He was not an intellectual um, quest. It was not something he would find with words as he was trying. And I think ultimately that was his downfall is he tried to look for the answers in words. And they were not there. They were in actions. They were in doing things. They were in going out there. And I think that cleanliness of world is what killed him at the end. Like he refused to get out there and to, to truly go in the world and do stuff and fail and fail hard. And the harder you try, obviously, the harder you fail, right? And he refused to do all this. But if he could see that it's not the cleanliness, it's you get 50-50, but the other 50 makes it, all worth it, right? If he could, I think I've done what he couldn't, which is actually live, experience. Get dirty, sure. No, fail many times, fail hard completely, but I've actually done the stuff, which is where he failed. He never took off, he never did anything, as he was the smartest mind, the brightest mind I've ever met to this day, no question, and he never did anything with it. At the end, he didn't. He didn't help anybody. He didn't do anything, right? And that's where he failed. And so if he could see my, 
if he had been there when she was born alone, when she grew up, what she is now, and he, he would see himself in her so much, like I do, and he would see that there was a there was a well. Like he tried to intellectualize it, to rationalize it, to to worship destruction as he was doing and to make it glamorous where it's utterly bullshit. No, he wasn't. You just cut yourself and died. That's all. Do you have um, animosity towards him? I have anger. I, not just toward him, by the way, toward my family that did not help him, toward myself that couldn't help him back then. A lot still to this day. Um, and a lot of anger at him as well now because that's the thing is I'm like, how dare you? How dare you not be there to see her? Since she was born, it's been like that. So he was very helpful to me because before that, he was mostly just, I couldn't help him. That's all. That's basically the way I looked at it is I could not help him. The brightest mind ever. And um, I always remember that from the Green Mile. When Tom Hanks talks about, uh, to his wife about, you know, like the electrocution, he's like, what am I going to say to God when I get up there that I kill one of his angels because it was my job? And so, not that I think I'll talk to God, but for me, it was the same thing. Like, what am I supposed to tell myself? Like, I didn't help him. And you can tell me I was young. I didn't have the experience. Yeah, yeah, all, all that is true. But at the end, I did not help him. And so that's all that was at the time. And when she was born... That's where the anger started to go, which may help me so much, which was, how dare you? How dare you not be here? How dare you letting me raise her, by the way, by myself now, without you being there, without you helping me, without you, um, how dare you not be here for the last 25 years? You, you raised me, you motherfucker, and you're not even here to see me succeed. Do you still have the same anger? Yes. As he's dead 25 years. It was last week. I, I miss him every single day. I have the same feeling about his death that I did now that I did then. He's just as sharp. And at the same anger, the same guilt about not helping him, nothing has changed. 25 years, he has not moved. Except anger has gone up as I do better because I'm like, I could show him so much now. I could show him the stuff I figure out. And again, it's like, how dare you not be here? You raised me. You taught me how to think. You taught me how to read. You taught me how to analyze, to understand philosophy. You did all this, and you're not here to see me do what I do now? How dare you? Have you, have you been to his grave? Never. I've never made it. That is, I still can't. I, I will, eventually. Uh... There's uh, one of those things that I wrote basically is about a woman and she's been asking me many times to go to his grave and to this day I've not been able, I know I'll break down. Like uh, when he died basically I didn't cry, nothing. I was just like, I knew he was coming. Uh, fortunately I knew he was coming. But then like one day he had given a letter to my grandmother in case he would die. Uh, she kept it in a safe, never told me. And then she gave it to me maybe like, I don't know, a year after his death or something. I read it and then I basically sat in a fetal position crying for an hour straight. So I know it'll be the same thing when I visit his grave. It won't yeah. change. Do you, do you still have that letter? No, I didn't keep it. I couldn't. I guess I gave it back to my grandmother, if I'm not mistaken. I couldn't keep it. Like it was, it'll be the same thing. That's probably why I don't want to go to the grave. Like, what am I going to say? I don't know what to say. I'll be. I'll sit there on my knees well, crying. I don't know what to tell him. Well, I, look, I'm certainly not going to tell you what to do. 
No, I, I'm not discussing. The, I'm not denying the fact that I need to go. I'm just saying I don't know what to say when I get there. I don't think you need to know. I don't think you need to know, nor do I think you can really, you can't plan for something that you don't know. That is true. But the part that I don't know what to say still bothers me. It's a long conversation I need to have with him anyway in my own head, but yeah, one day. You know, there's a ton of research out there, not research, sure. but a lot of stories of people that have, have suffered loss and then and then you know struggling with forgiveness and then have gone to explore that i don't i don't need forgiveness toward him at all i don't blame him for what he did i understand his youth was even worse than mine i know exactly why he did what he did i don't blame him for killing himself like the state he was in was it was better than you know slowly going into hell so that's not the part that uh that I'm angry at. I'm angry at the fact that he had the, that intellect that he never pushed in the right direction out of ego and his love of words. Um, have you forgave, forgave yourself? I understand that I could not help him back then, but I don't know if that's forgiveness. I don't blame myself nearly as much. I miss him the same way but I don't blame myself nearly as much. So in that sense, I would say, I don't know if it's forgiveness. I do understand yeah. that I could not help him. Yes. And that he was, by the way, he wasn't mine to do. I understand that now, that he wasn't mine to do. Do you have to go through pain to grow? Yes. Yes, of course. Comfortable is the opposite of safe, by the way. To truly grow, you need to be in a safe place. It's like a, hopster, a lobster. But to do that, you need to be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable means you are safe. The second you are comfortable, that means you live in an unsafe place. That means you will never grow. You will stay within your shell always. A lobster needs to be uncomfortable to grow. He needs to feel so uncomfortable. He goes into a rock in a safe place, breaks his shell, and builds another one. Right? That's what you do. You, when you're so uncomfortable, you start growing. But do not confuse comfortable and safe. They're actually opposite. The only, the only time you are uncomfortable is when you are truly safe. So yes, you need to you need pain for that. Well, so maybe maybe visiting the grave will help you uh, grow in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Toward that, probably. Yeah. But it was my one. I mean, with my grandmother on the other side or the feminine side, it was my one influence in life. Everything that I have today is because of him. And. I mean, you know, maybe I should have started this a little bit earlier, but just uh, for context of that story, can you explain it to the listeners? Who he was? Yes. He was my half-brother, actually. Like, we grew up together. He was uh, 18, 19 years older than me. He was my father's second wife's kid. And my mother was the third, right? And uh, so he, he had actually a brother. Uh, his name is Francois that I don't know that well. Because we met maybe like 20 times in our lives. And so uh, my older brother, the oldest, stayed with the mom. And my, the younger brother, Jérôme, went with my father. And so as I grew up, uh, he was my influence. My father was a coward who married a bitch from hell, which was my mother. And of course he did. I mean, all the women he chose were awesome. That's why uh, Jérôme's mom was even better than mine. Um, he knew how to pick them. And so the 
the one person I had basically to give me everything direction to teach me was him. And so he was a father figure to me always. But he, we were um, like twins, I guess, mentally, you would say. We're more, even though separated by more than 10 years, he was the one person I connected to always. We had conversation where I could talk to him through my words to somebody at the dinner table. So I would talk to somebody else, but through those words, basically, talk to him, and he would answer me back through the words that he was having with the person in front of him. So we had basically those conversations, and that was one of our favorite games. It was very, uh, yeah, it was very skillful. So, I mean, would it be safe to say, and, and I'm holding back, like, in relating to my own stories here, and, and, um, and with my dad, who died early, mm, and by choices he mm -hmm. made, and the struggles that mm. I have there. And so I'm kind of, I, I have somewhat of uh, parallel feelings, and now there's certain moments that I, I almost feel like I still see him like I'll see somebody and I'm like oh and it's not obviously mm -hmm. it's not him um, I don't ever dream about him I don't, I don't either no I don't either I, I don't I don't know what that's about but I wonder if there's a some sort of evolutionary protection there I don't know most likely I used to at some point but not anymore it's been a while so now, so I'm kind of curious about how and where I want to go with it is that that was such a major influence, probably the major influence mm -hmm. in your life. Also, your daughter. But yeah, I'd say, my, yeah. yeah, totally different. We're talking about like main, main influences that bump you in one, like you come across things in life that just make you go the other direction. That she was, then yes, right. That's, <laughs> yes, that's, that's that she what I mean. was. Yeah, there are these, there are the these drivers moments. in your life. Yeah, these huge yeah. moments. Yeah, which on this show, I actually, and the listeners know, but I'll tell you, I struggle with reading people's bios because that's those aren't those moments. No, they're not the ones that you actually, never see. Yeah, you never see them. Yeah, that's the results of the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a resume or you know what, whatnot. Um. So so I'm kind of curious. So that has happened. And what have you been able to do with that information to create the person you are? So that happened. What, how have you used that to, to build yourself? Well, I can tell you, as my daughter, I can tell you exactly, for example, when my life changed, is when Tatiana, so my ex, right, uh, Yaya's mother, told me she was pregnant, right? So we've been there, we've been together four months at a time. We just started. I am 30 right? No clue where my life is going because no direction whatsoever. Uh, I'm in Brazil doing jiu-jitsu and not even that hard because I have no idea where I'm going. I mean, that's been uh, something through my life too. But uh, so, and yeah, yeah, it was an accident. So she's like, okay, I'm pregnant, right? She tried to take the pill after, didn't work. So I was like, all right, so I guess we're going to keep her. And uh, that was my decision. Um, and she was like, okay, what do you want to do? I said, no, no, no. We're having, fun. Well, didn't know her, but we're having the baby, right? Um, and for 45 minutes, I've kind of freaked out a little bit inside, right? Yeah, and naturally. I, yeah. And then I remember sitting outside. Uh, I'm at the balcony. And I'm like, all right, so we're going to do this. And then I became very calm. So, uh, I love kids, so I have no issue with that. And I was like, all right, but uh, what are you going to tell her? Because I'm looking at my life now, and I'm like, what are you going to tell her? That you can cost your entire life on talent? do just enough to survive, 
because you're that smart and not do anything with it, not putting the work, not actually building anything? Or are you going to build something? And so, which is something I've been telling myself for a long time, but because of her suddenly crystallized into, all right, so which one is it? Are you going to stay here in Brazil, borrow money maybe with your grandparents, trying to make it, maybe get paid here, find a way, find a, whatever, do stuff and just basically coast on talent your entire life, which I could very easily do. Or are you going to build something? And so it was obviously option B. And I was like, all right. And that changed my entire life because from that day, I was like, all right, I'm going to build something. So now how do I do this? And that was, that was a switch for whatever reason. Once in a while, don't get me wrong, it's years of stuff in your head, but there's always that moment where you flip the switch. Or maybe not always, but maybe that's the problem with some people and they can never flip the switch. But I did that day. When it came to my own life, I flipped the switch and I was like, all right. I guess I did it for, she was a catalyst in that sense. I was like, all right, time to build something. So I was like, all right, so what am I going to do? Obviously build a gym, what else am I going to do? Uh, and I was like, all right, so how do I do that? And then you changed the shape of my life. Did that have, do you think it was more of an impact just in the, with the, the context of not having your brother around? That, that happened when she, uh, at the time he was like, uh, not yet, when she, when, when, Tatiana was pregnant. He was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And he just brought forward all the shit I have not been doing, right? Which is, uh, which by the way, can be also a consequence of my own brother who never did anything with his intelligence, right? right? But for really like the three to nine months, uh, like seven, two to nine months, for seven months, he was like, dude, you're not doing anything with your life. When she's born, what are you going to tell her? Are you going to look at her in the face and still be just goofing around and jacking around like not doing anything? And so that's really what the feeling was. It was like, all right, I need to do something now. I have all this potential, uh, monster intellect, and I'm doing nothing with it. All right. So that was that. And when she was born, uh, that's quite an image, by the way. Those are the things that kind of stick in your head, <laughs> I got to say, right? Uh, she was C-section, so her face was perfect. She has those big eyes. And when they presented to me, she was not crying. Her, to me, she was not crying. She just had big round eyes open. I was like, <gasps> is that a baby? Um, and it's within a few days where it hit me that I was like, oh, motherfucker, you're not here. But the, it, was, it was her. Like, that, that was the biggest um, catalyst was her in that sense. I was like, all right, what am I going to do with that? And that was a hard question, by the way. Because then it also forces me to face what I didn't do up to the end. I'm 30, right? So that mm -hmm. means my entire 20s, and before that, let's be honest, uh, we're just basically uh, spent dicking around. And so I was like, that is not always a comfortable feeling. Let's put so, it this way. So, it, you know, what, I, what I'm kind of feeling at that point in time, it made you start to really assert yourself. Yeah. And stop lying to yourself, I think, would be a good way to put it. Like, stop bullshitting yourself. Like, you know exactly what you're doing in that case, not doing. Like, I was very good at you know, putting flowers on everything and like a positive side. No, you're not on the positive side of anything. You're just not doing it. Like it's, oh, I have hope. No, you don't. No, no, no. It's not yeah. positive. It's not hope. You're just not doing it. You're just using words as a way to not face the reality that you're not taking actions. Um, so at this time you're doing uh, jujitsu pretty heavily, right? Yep. Um, what did jujitsu teach you about life? Uh, to face the world. 
literally. Because of uh, that's something I talked about lately, is because especially of autism and everything is the the. It's very hard sometimes to accept any new stimulus. Let's put it so it's a longer podcast in itself, but um, certain things overwhelm you, right? So you have a tendency to go into a place where there is no new stimulus. Uh, from a pure um, scientific perspective that has to do with test negative versus test positive, whatever. Uh, new stimulus can be painful, right? And so the problem is if you let that drive you, that means you'll never do anything, right? So you'll never face any intensity. If you just stay at the same level, uh, any intensity is painful. So you lower your level and then, then you find a new intensity that is just as painful. So you lower your level, lower your level, lower your level until you never get out of the house, you never do anything, you freak out all the time, right? Jiu-Jitsu was the other way. It was like, this is the most stressful thing I can ever do. Someone is trying to take my head off with a very close contact with a tremendous stimulus. You don't get any more stressful than this for me. And so once I mastered that, not Jiu-Jitsu, just the feeling, then everything else was so much easier. I also I want to point out a couple of things without going too off on this tangent, is that there, there is a theme here, and that is facing... I'm I'm using the word intensity because I don't want mm-hmm. it's not yes, it's I don't a good word. pain. No, no, it's a good word. Pain intensity is, is a pain, good word. Pain yeah. is subjective. Yes. Right. Intensity so, is a good word. So we're gonna wrap pain and intensity yes. are like the it. same thing. And stress. This is mm-hmm. and so you need these things in order to yes. grow. You will experience stress no matter what you do. Yes. Right? So that's why you see people complaining about how oh, I tweak my nail. They're not lying. They're actually feeling a tremendous amount of pain for their, from their nail because they don't do anything else. So your brain will always bring the intensity of pain no matter what you do. But you do have a choice as to when that pain shows up. It can show up when you tweak your nail or it can show up when you break your, half into, your leg in two. That, see, here we go. There's a lot of different channels that your, your, your nervous system is transmitting a message mm-hmm. and understand and, and one thing that i've learned and just to, to point out it's not only in the brain it's, it's not, not like, in the brain at all the brain it's not like there's a gateway at the brain and like all right information comes in and let the brain figure it out you have your entire body the, the brain is an extension of the nervous system the nervous system the way it is built is at least 300 million million years old the part of the brain that creates rational thoughts is a hundred thousand so it's 3,000 times younger than your nervous system. Guess who gives, uh, guess who gives orders? Yep. Nervous system. Like the ration, I think Therefore I Am by Descartes is to me the most damaging thing ever said. Uh, it should be the other way around, right? It's I Am Therefore, I think. No, he said I Think Therefore I Am. That's the, that no, was no, the problem. No, no, yes, no, no, exactly. No, no. I'm saying it should yes, be the other way around. Yes, I Am Therefore I Think. That's been the point I've been trying to make. Is most the the more we look at evolutionary biology, the more obvious it is that we are a community of things, not a single unit of a brain directing the body as a factory. We are a community of things, from the gut flora to the nervous system that is connected to many more things than just yeah. us, and into finally rational thoughts. Rational thoughts are a visualization of what you feel, nothing else. Now, to 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 go backwards to the, the yes. hangnail. Yep, we're talking about pain, pain and intensity. So yep. one of the things, let's say that happens, that doesn't necessarily mean you feel pain. It's Just an interpretation. Like, right? You look, you feel oh, something. I'm, I'm feeling something here. Exactly. What is it? And then you can kind of decide what to call it. Because you, you gauge damage, right? So you say, oh, my nail is broken. That's damage. So therefore, I have pain. It is true. 
it is damaged. The question is, does that damage matter or not? Right? So if you do something like jujitsu, tweaking your nail does not matter anymore. You're in pain when the guy almost broke your neck. Right? So then you look at the nail going like, there is damage, that's true, and I don't give a shit. So therefore, there is no pain. So you, you will receive the intensity of the signal. The choice you make is whether that signal matters or not. And you don't get to choose with words by just saying, oh, I don't care about my nail. You get to do it. You get to take actions to introduce such an intensity in your life that your nail being tweaked does not matter anymore. That is a choice. So it goes back to doing something, everybody. Go do something. Always. Right? Take actions. Stop talking. And so jujitsu, um, mm -hmm. again, what age were you when you started it? I think it was like 19, 20. Late. Was it after your brother? Around the same. Oh, shit. I, that might have been right after. Okay. So you have this thing. Um, yeah, because I'm back in Paris. You know, it's right after. And so one, one of the questions I have um, related to jujitsu for you, mm -hmm. uh, being such a, a, a cerebral person and uh, intellectual, one, did, was it completely overwhelming for you to, under, to see like the never-ending mountain of what you can do in jujitsu? Well, uh, the see, first of all, is when you start, you don't see an overwhelming mountain. You see something very simple that is just a numbar and a triangle. And you think you're going to figure it out in three months. Because yeah. <laughs> you're a white belt, so you have no fucking clue. So what you realize is the, more, the deeper you are in it, the more you start to see the mountain. So that means that you s the size of the mountain is not relating to the size of the mountain, it's relating to how much of it you see. And the better you go, the better you are at it, the more of the mountain you see. So it's never overwhelming because you, as a white belt, you don't see shit. You see a little tiny piece of it. And as you, when you're a black belt, then you start to see how big the mountain is, uh, probably not even that big in my case, but uh, never overwhelmed because of that because I could only see what I was capable of seeing. Was it, was learning jiu-jitsu like a fear-based thing for you or was at it first, like a... At first, it was that. It was like, I need to master that feeling. I'd seen a Royce Gracie on TV and I scared the shit out of me. Like, I was like, that, that because I was real violence. Before that, it was Bruce Lee and all mm. those movies, right? And I was like, oh, violence, violence, violence. And I mean, I'm 19, I'm a punk. So yeah. what else, I'm a little punk, what else you want? I mean, but uh, all I wanted was to move to, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's movie was to move to Thailand and become a Thai boxer. Um, and then, here, of course. And then um, I see Hoyce Gracie in the cage and that's a real fight. And I'm like, shit, that is not the movie. And there was a real... A, a quality to it that felt real. I was like, that guy would fuck you up. Like there was no lying. I mean, like especially at that time, you know, he's and he's skinny and he has a gim and he's just punching you and then he's breaking your arm and you go like, that scared me because the reality of it scared me. Not even him. The reality of that violence. I was like that. I felt it in my stomach. Like I was like, you know, what I mean, like all the way to your balls where you go like, no, that one is real. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. you don't get. It's like standing on the edge. I mean, of the mountain, you go like, shit. Even if you're not scared, your entire body feels the depth of what's in front of you, right? And that's exactly what it felt like. And I was like, all right, I don't like being scared. And I certainly would not accept the idea of someone being able to do that to me. So I'll go train. So I went in there. So like, I'm athletic. I'm strong. I, I learn fast. It'll be fine. Then first day happens and the guy is on top of it, choking me, panic attack, the whole thing, my face changing color three times. Uh, like, you know, lactic acid, battery acid in my veins. Uh, and I'm like, all right, but right away I was like, okay, uh, I get it now, uh, how bad it is. But if I can control that feeling, then nothing will ever scare me again. 
So I was like, all right, so I'll, I'll come back tomorrow. Got my ass kicked the next day too, by the way. And then I went on and on and on and on like that. And But the further I went, the more it became like a chess game. So it wasn't about beating other people anymore because I was doing it for me. Thank God. That was the right why. Right? Is I did it for me. And as I got better, I realized it was a chess game into that. And the intellectual games of jiu-jitsu started. And that's what I got addic addicted to, really, was that. It was like all the strategy, the uh, setting traps, all that stuff. I were physical component but it's a physical chess of yeah. jiu-jitsu that i love it was setting traps so i was beating them almost as much with my mind as i was with my body and that's one of the things i kind of want to point out and see how much it relates to now and that is your drive to understand well drive uh perhaps it's the the gift sometimes a curse of vision always a gift uh and using that gift towards understanding something like the art of jujitsu and how that now is still going on and relates into your other studies. Because it's always the same. It's studying humans. And no, there is nothing else that will produce a stress like jujitsu onto people. And the best way to study is to introduce stress. So you want to study human beings, put them into a stressful situation and see if they talk. Right? So put someone in a challenging position and see if this is the first thing that they do is respond with words. If they do, that means they failed already. You only talk when you, that once you failed the fight. So will they respond with action or will they respond with words? Will they lose control of their emotions or will they use it to drive them? You will never understand people as deeply as on a jiu-jitsu mat. That's actually in the matrix. You don't know someone until you fight them. That is very true. So... Uh, Jiu-Jitsu, like everything else, became a way for me to study people, to see what the patterns were. Where, it, and so many times, it's not about the technique. Like it's about how you handle yourself in front of uh, difficult situations. When at the time, like uh, like was like ten years ago, when the, we started to have women doing more Jiu-Jitsu and everything, and seeing most of the guys incapable of dealing with that, right? They didn't want to submit women, so they all got their ass kicked. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, she's here to learn, not to, uh, for, her, for you to kiss her ass, literally or not, by the way, especially literally. Uh, but I was like, can you, yes, she's pretty, so what? Can you please kick her ass? She, that's what she's here for. Just s submit her so she can learn the same way we all learn. But you start to see the behavior of people and you realize that conscious thoughts come way, way, way in the back. There are other things driving you that are far stronger than your words, than your conscious thoughts. They, they, that the body is more than just, I think, therefore I am. And the best place to study that was Jiu-Jitsu. It gave me such a background on humans, right? On a human, on psychology, on stuff like that. You cannot study psychology without putting people in a stressful situation. You want to see 40-year-olds throwing tantrums? Like a fucking 12-year-old? Go into, on a Jiu-Jitsu map. Choose all the blue belts that are over 40 and wait. And at some point, they're going to spar with a guy that is, who is younger than them and then see them lose their shit. It's amazing. I really thought you were going to say like a, a, a AYSO soccer field. Or something a that, would, <laughs> that would work as well, by the way. Yeah, right? But then, so the reactions, if you study people, you have to study those reactions. And then I'll mm -hmm. tell you what the nervous system is like more than all those studies that they do with the HRV and everything, which is great. But look at people. 
right? Yep. And so since then, is I've been on the same quest since... I've read all of Freud by the time I was 18. So my quest has always been, my vision has been studying humans. So let's go backwards now. Mm-hmm. And when, I guess, let's say, I don't want to say backwards, let's go in. So you're talking about somebody, like you, you're doing jujitsu, and then you started doing it for yourself. Yeah. And then uh, under stress, and then what does a person do next? And if, they're, if it's words, then they've already failed. Mm-hmm. So even going back further, you started talking about conscious thought coming from a different part of the brain. Um, and so a little theme that I've always kind of had is explaining that our greatest battlefield is in our own yes. mind. I'm not going to say brain because it's in our mind, wherever that is. In our system, yeah. I, I would say the mind is our whole body. I believe so. So I'm not going to say the mind is just in our skull. I believe it's a combination of voices. Yes. In different parts of the brain. I'm yep. actually... Um, in different The gut flora, the stomach, the nervous system, they're yeah. all different voices. Yep. You'd actually be, um, you'd probably be interested in reading Ryan Muncy's book, Fuck Your Feelings. He was a guest on here. Yep. He talks a lot about the relationship of the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. But if you go into test negative network and test positive, there's a lot of that, yes. that as well. There seems to be two thought patterns, really. So understanding how you think and feel. And why you think the way you think. Yes. That, first of all, you're going to have to shed that illusion that you are in control of your thoughts. There is two thought patterns. It's called test negative network and test positive network. And that's about it. You are, the problem is you are not who you think you are. You were told that you are, a, that you are in control of your thoughts and that makes you who you are. I think therefore I am. And that's not true. You are a combination of things, a community of beings, if you want. You are right. a society in yourself. So explain um, in, in simple terms, task negative and task positive. So task negative network is called a default mode that network. This is where your sense of self is. This is where you think about the past and then you try to figure out the, the future. This is where you try to guess people's emotions, guess what they're thinking. Right? This is where you, uh, your morals live. This is where you make all those uh, what involuntary actions lives there as well. This is where people that are depressed get stuck. If you want, it's the afferent system of your body, the body that is a, a checking mechanism on how you feel, That's the, which is the dorsal part of any nerve, the afferent system, mm-hmm. right? It's responsible to tell you, hey, the muscle is fine or not, right? All right, so you have that with thought patterns. That's an afferent is, uh, is uh, body mm-hmm. to brain. Exactly, right. So, so that's, that's kind of a misnomer, but you get the yes. idea, right? Yeah, it's the muscle telling the, you know, when you're about to get rhabdo, is the muscle telling the brain, stop doing that. All right, that's your afferent system, right? But your brain tells them also, no, no, I want to keep doing it. That's called yes. the efferent system, yes. right? So the test negative network, if you look at it, you could see it's an extension over evolutionary biology of that part, afferent part of the nervous system where it's a checking out mechanism thing where it's like, all right, how do I feel my sense of self? So my morals, part of the sense of self, what am I going to do in that situation? That's where words live. Right? That's where empathy is. So basically, it's a checking out what's happening mechanism. It kind of also sounds where that's where assumptions and attachments are. Exactly. Right? And that's where... So now look at depressed people. Depressed people are incapable of acting. They are stuck in a world where there are only words. And they keep talking, keep talking, keep feeling, keep talking, keep feeling until they can't feel anything because they end up in freeze. That's another part of the mm-hmm. nervous system. Right? That's a testing active network. So it, is nece- it doesn't spend as much energy. And the funny thing is, all this being controlled by encephalograms and everything, the second you're done with a task, that's where you go. 
right? So it's your resting mechanism. It's basically all the efference. Think, okay, this is how I feel, right? Task positive is where learning occurs, right? Uh, that's where you, you get an epiphany. That's where you start to learn something. Like, you know, when you fig finally figure out something, that's feeling, okay, that's where task positive is. Very little is written about it, interestingly speaking, uh, which I find, yeah, extremely interesting. But it's basically where learning happens, where you are uncomfortable. This is the only, you have to be safe to be there. The task negative network, very interesting, interestingly, is the part where you are unsafe. We know because we've seen that uh, task negative network is activated when you have a change of stimuli that you're not uh, on your periphery. Right? When something new happens, it triggers a test negative network. Why? Because you're starting to wonder what the fuck just happened. That's something you can use for cops and everything when you train them. Right? Is You want to introduce a new stimuli that they're not used to. Maybe instead of red, it's green or stuff like that. And see their reaction. It will put them into that blinking phase right? where you just, they hesitate. And then you'll see their reaction from there. Right? So that's where you are unsafe, basically. That's why it's the afferent part of the system, right? The task positive is where you learn, where you are uncomfortable, where you can truly focus your energy to understand something or to take action. Requires you to be safe, to be there. And so that's really the two patterns we have when it comes to thoughts. Is you're safe or unsafe? When you're not safe, you use words. Okay. You, your morals get developed, right? You start to change your life in order to fit, to go to that safe place that you're trying to reach. Once you're safe, you don't need to talk. You just do stuff. But to do stuff, you need to be safe. I'm getting a really strong uh, vibe that the two of them are just based off the, and I'm not going to go down this, this yet, but it seems like task negative where the assumption and attachments are would be like the uh, sympathetic nervous system. Exactly. And task positive is a mm -hmm. parasympathetic nervous exactly. system. Exactly. And it's where... That's where the flow state is. And what I wrote down here is that's where a growth mindset is. Exactly. So there's also two sides, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. The parasympathetic has a ventral vagus nerve, right, which is the efferent system. So take the parasympathetic sympathetic, divide each in two phases, efferent, afferent, right? Mm -hmm. So the afferent part of the parasympathetic we know is a freeze button, the dorsal vagus nerve, for example. That's where the freeze button is. That's where depression lives. So that fits, right? The ventral part of the vagus nerve is what allows you to socialize, to take action. So that still fits. And now we have the same thing on the sympathetic side for the fight and flight. Fight is action. Flight is back to afferent system, like, oh my God, oh my God, when you're freaking out, basically. And from there, you go right to freeze if you don't know what you're doing. The vagus nerve is fascinating. Extremely. Um, That's why we are where we are. That's yeah. mammals, basically. Yep. That's been developed for the last, what, million years? Uh, through like the mammals and everything. Oh, there's something there. It controls so much. Controls the emotions of your face, so you can show whether you're friendly or aggressive. I'm mm -hmm. deciding if I want to go down this hole or not. It's so, a, let's stick with what we say because that's a that's a big I'll, hole. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll bring yeah. it back, but I think it's important to note, and and it's an important thing that people know what the, the vagus nerve is and how mm -hmm. they can use it to put themselves back in a, a parasympathetic state. I think that's a very important part, actually, that because most people think the nervous system is something that cannot be controlled. Yes. But that is not true. The better we understand it, the more you see how you can influence it. You can influence it through movement, breathing, or nutrition. Right? You are under control, which is what frustrates me the most with people, is they don't understand the nervous system, first of all, because no one talks about it, let's be honest. But on top of it, because they think it's that thing over there that they have no control of that just happens. 
That is not true. It is part of your conscious being as well. And you can control it. You just will control it through movement, for example, movement, breathing, nutrition. You can control your nervous system. That will make the difference between you being used by it or you using it. So I'm going to break it down for you guys. Your vagus nerve, V-A-G-U-S, not like Las Vegas, the <laughs> vagus nerve. So French accent. It, yeah, it is the 10th cranial nerve. So it actually does go into your skull and does actually it goes everywhere. affect your face. Yeah, yeah, and travels down. It's right below the eyes, right? That's mm-hmm. where you express friendliness or not, so you control that. And it travels all the way down through like all your major organs. Links all of them. I think probably uh, probably best thing to do is one day just Google vagus nerve and look at yeah, the Yeah, because it's a big-ass one. Yeah. But it controls your heart rate. Yep, it goes right. into all your major uh, organs yeah. and into your gut. And it's actually where the term, I got a gut feeling about that. Mm-hmm. There's 100 million nerve cells inside the gut, basically, with uh, bacteria and microbes actually talking to you. And it, it's uh, efferent and afferent. Yeah, exactly. So it's basically the brain uh, going down and then from the down going up. So it's not exactly like that, but basically let's say that brain to muscle is the efferent and muscle to brain is the afferent. So here's a little example of of what you kind of, your body just does in response to the stress state that you're in. And that is a sigh. When someone, if you take a big old mm-hmm. breath, <sighs> Just that right there in itself, your body's trying to uh, do like a, a one-part inhale, two-part exhale, and that sigh and that noise creates a vibration which mm-hmm. stimulates your vagus nerve. Yeah, back of the throat and everything. Yeah. And it allows you to go back to calm and stuff like that. Yep. Or you have the other side, which is you look at the ocean, you get scared, and then you, and your heart rate goes up even though you haven't done anything. The reason it, go, it goes up is because you lost the parasympathetic side, that flow state where you were safe and then you look at something that is not safe triggers the sympathetic nervous system and that's not where the vagus nerve is the -hmm. vagus nerve is toward the parasympathetic side of things so therefore you lose control of your heart rate so now you have the other baby telling you nope now we're getting jacked up yep so you can can yeah so what we were talking about earlier is that you can control Control that that. and shift yourself back back to flow and that's what you see like look at ronaldo when he's about to kick to do a free kick or penalty He inhales through his nose, exhales, he first, and then mm-hmm. inhales through his nose and exhales through his lips. All this, I don't know if he does it by choice, but all this can be used to basically calm you down. Why? Because you take control of your vagus nerve. Take back control of your vagus nerve, because otherwise you'll freak out. Which is massively important. Oh. And, and uh, when you, uh, I've talked a lot about it on the show, and it's, and it's a big theme with the way you teach as well, is that you're creating self-awareness, so that literally. you can self-regulate. Literally, yep. Yeah, self-awareness so you can self-regulate. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you are a, a slave to your own nervous system. And to everybody else. Yep. If you're a slave to the sympathetic side, you're a slave to everybody else around you. Because that means anything will trigger you, right? You only exist as your own person within the uh, parasympathetic side. So you only exist within the test positive network. The test negative network, your morals, your sense of self, is imposed on you by everybody else. You are a creature of action. The creature of words that you are is being created by other people. So, so having this information, right, in, in which obviously not everybody has. So you have this 
You you tend to have a okay. lot. Okay, there is that stuff called the internet that is yeah. not just for porn. Yeah, yeah. There's actually something called Wikipedia, and yeah, you can yeah, get yeah. a lot of shit on there. Yeah, but that's the same thing of like, hey, uh, there's a sandbag. Everybody, go lift it. They're not going to. I know, but I expect better. Out yes. Of people. Well, that was actually a question that I was gonna. I'll, since you brought it up, I'll, I'll ask you right now. Do you struggle with people? <laughs> yes. 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 So much. I. Um, I struggle with the fact that people want words and numbers. I struggle with the fact that people, what I struggle the most is people say, can I read the study that proves what you say? And I'm someone who actually read the studies at least once to make sure that I'm not completely talking. You know. And so I'll give people the study and they won't read it because they never wanted the study. What, they want, what it means is that they were challenged by what I said, put them into an unsafe place, and they went into that fucking test negative network where they need words mm-hmm. to, su- to survive. And where they're asking really is to a war of words and numbers because that's where they feel safe. They don't feel safe there. They feel comfortable. So what they do is basically throw stuff at me to feel comfortable about themselves. And my position is, how dare you? I am trying to help people. I am someone who actually does things helps people i've brought people back from dark places and you come at me with words and numbers that you don't truly care about because you'll never read, read those studies that i give you anyway just because you need to be comfortable and so my answer is fuck you well that's not helping them <laughs> no but at some point i will not treat you as a child either yes yeah so so what i'm seeing here is and, and it's kind of, sometimes, yes, you do have to go that route. But sometimes also another magical combination of words, like you're saying, what does this person need, right? What do they, what do they need? They're, so they're, you need... That is, and that is the question, right? Yeah. It's exactly there. It's like, how much do I... D- so I provide a lot for free out there for people to look. When does it become... When do I need to do more? And when is it on you to act, right? That's always the part where I struggle is that is do I put a gun to your head and say read this right do I do I treat you as an adult as a human not even adult as a human being so this is why I refuse to tell people what to do and I tell them how to do it because there is a moment where you're gonna have to come and meet me Uh, if you ever go to the 16th chapel look up and you know that uh, the painting with God and men everything what you see when you actually sit in the 16th chapel is that men pulls back from God on that painting. You don't really see it on the picture, but when you're there, you have that striking, striking image of men pulling back from God wanting to help. Right? And I'm not God, by the way. That's, that is not what I'm saying. Uh, but at some point, when is it on you to, tr- to, to gain knowledge, to do this, to, to take action? To me, words are already indication of failure. So if I need to convince you through words, to me, it means you'll never take action. So how do I instead get you to take action? Right. So I'm asking people to try stuff. If you refuse to try, I won't talk to you. If you've tried and you failed, we're good. Then I'll, ind- I'll show you what, what I've seen, what I tried, all the studies that I, that, that, that I made. Then I'll tell you, I'll give you a guideline to how to do certain things. But there has to be a price to pay to enter. 
right? You're going to have to push the gates open. Yeah, you got to do something. You got to do something. So you're going to have to try and fail maybe, yes, okay? But that's your price of entry. There is a price. You do not get to come at me and tell me that your stress is worth more than mine. If you're going to ask for my time, right? Are you saying that your time is worse than the time that I spend with my daughter? Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that the time, your time is more valuable than the time that I spend thinking, helping others? No, it is not. So there is a price to pay. And the price to pay is you trying. If you're willing to pay that price, I will always help. But there is a line in the sand. The price to pay. Um, so here's... Action is the price. Here's a, here's a um, thought slash uh, concern that I have because I love you, is how much of you is going into strong fit and how much of you is going into Julian? And is it equal? More, always more toward, I've made more progress toward myself since I started the seminar than I ever did before that. Because you brought up um, Michelangelo mm -hmm. and the Sistine Chapel. Do you know what that did to him? Yeah, but this fight with the Pope wasn't good either. And uh, yes, I understand. But actually, no, for me, I am more myself now than I ever was. I've discovered more about myself through my study for Strong Fit that uh, I've ever done for myself because I have a freedom to think now that I never had before. So actually, I do not run a company. I do not put anything into Strong Fit. I run my life and everything evolves around that. So I actually do not put that much into strong fit. I put it in myself and all the results that I get, I put back into strong fit as a thank you, but nothing else. So by the way, for the listeners, it really broke Michelangelo down. He worked on his back for like four and a half years on yeah. it and aged him. He like couldn't yeah. stand up straight. It, yeah. He was so committed and dedicated yes. to that, that it broke him personally. Yeah, but look at the painting. You stand there and I'm not a religious person at all. Yeah. I'm an atheist, but I stood there all right, it's not the picture. You oh, no, no. Like yeah. you stand in the Sixteen Chapel and you look, and I was not moved by any of the other painting that much, but that one, <sighs> this, uh, there's a beauty in that painting that yeah. is hard to describe. What do you do for fun? Uh, figure shit out. Lately, I've been trying, I've been playing pool again, but it's the same thing. Right, because I get to play with breathing, with movement and everything. So I do uh, what I do with everything. I figure humans out. So if you had, let's say, I put you in some nice little Airbnb on the beach. And, uh, uh, I'll try to figure out why people move the way they move. Okay, and you have three days to do whatever you want, and you're by yourself. Let's say your daughter's hanging out, like she's good. Mm -hmm. You're just there by yourself. What are you doing? I'll... Uh, so there's no weight, so I'll figure out body weight movement to see where I'm fucking up on patterns, what did I let slide, stuff like that. What kind of pull-ups can I do on a coconut tree over there? I'll go look at the locals and see, so you don't sit that much, right? You, wear, you walk barefoot. All right, let's go walk so I can study the way you stand and your knees and your ankles to see what the fact that you did not wear shoes, how did that modify the way you walk? Because I want to see if you're going to go from the outside of your foot to the inside of the foot. 
I mean, because the outside of the foot is the antenna, right? That's what you yeah. put first. That's normal. But we stay there. But if you don't have shoes because you're not fucking padding inside, you're going to go toward that big toe. So what I want to see is how thick that knuckle right under the big toe is. Is there muscle there and padding because almost no one has it. That's what I want to see. Are you ever, ever, ever able to turn it off? <laughs> no, there's nothing to turn off. This is who I am. Yes. Yep. So if I turn off, I turn myself off. I don't. No, good. So it's almost like a, it's almost like you have a moving meditation practice. So autistic people has been tried and tested, do not have the test negative network, or at least not as developed, right? That means there is no sense of self, right? So I don't have to worry about that. So I don't need to turn it off. I don't need to worry about turning it off. The sense of self is not there to tell me to think about it. So I do stuff, which is far more fun, by the way. And that, that's, that was going to be um, one of my next questions is, how do you learn? Continuously. Now, are you, I already know the answer, right? Learning, you have, to, you have to experience to learn. Alpha zero style. Yeah, that means you try, so you take actions and you fail. Or maybe sometimes you succeed too, by the way, you don't always fail. But the key is to, most people go into an action. There's a girl, um, uh, I'm supposed to do an assessment on, but I might ask her if she wants to go have dinner because, man, she's pretty. And so most people will go into that situation going like, all right, so I'm supposed to just do this and so that won't work. And then I'm, so what if I say that? So it, me, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try and probably get shut down. But how do I know if I don't try, right? Yes. Am I going to not try? I, I don't understand what that means. I'm like, I don't know what she's going to say, but that's what I'm going to ask because I don't know. And so there is no... For me, the only way to learn is you go do stuff. But the only thing with this is you have to be willing to get shut down. Like a hundred, you know, like the yes. movie shut down where you look like, oh my God, I'm like, good, because that means I tried. Well, that's, that's what goes into the growth mindset of you either succeed or you learn. Oh, yeah. There's no, but there's no. So, like, for example, when my mind wanders, it wanders about specific tasks, right? People, their mind wanders over the place. Uh, mine is on a very specific thing. So I do a lot of learning like that as well, where there's a problem. I don't have an answer. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe, like, you know, something stupid, like bringing the hand back when I play pool or stuff like that, which I'm not doing. Like, uh, we realize with my coach that I'm not, my backstroke is very small. So I don't know what it feels like not to do what I do. So when my mind wanders, it wanders how you would feel. So that I'm starting to process that backstroke so that when I play, you'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. Or I'll try this, try that. But it is so many, uh, so much experience that needs to be had to fix the backstroke that I, it better be... Mm -hmm. So it's in a room in my head where it's always being processed. So I have different rooms where I process different problems that I'm interested in. My, my mind wanders from one room to the next. All rooms at the same time, actually. But that's how you learn. You have that um, curiosity about something and... Every single moment is spent on figuring it how it's going to feel. Not don't think about it because you, that doesn't work like that. The question is, how is it going to feel? How is it going to feel to be shut down? How is it going to feel when she says yes? How is it going to feel when my backstroke is like, I don't know. But so that's where my mind is going to wander. So you have ex experiencing things and learning that way, but also you learn from reading books. But I read about the principles. Yes. Right, so I read books and I'm like, okay, what is he trying to say? 
like it's not like an, that's why academics and, and me we get along so well is because they'll go into sentences right and i'm like but you can't take a sentence out of a book you can't take a word out of a sentence and otherwise you make anything say anything that's the problem with studies so uh, like you can't take a sentence out of the book and tell me that that's what the guy meant like so you're dissecting the sentence like a lawyer would do but that's not what this is. This book is about that guy telling you something, an, a life experience, an idea, a, a principle, right? That's what you need to understand. You need to understand his intent. And the intent is not in the way he put the words together. The intent is in the book. What, he was, what was he trying to say? And at some point, you cannot decompose that. There's a difference between specialization and fragmentation, right? Mm -hmm. You can take a paragraph and try to specialize toward what he meant when, he, when Freud or Nietzsche talks about you know, being good and evil and he talks about the very specific things. Okay, that's specialization. But the second you try to take a sentence and break it down, now you're doing fragmentation. And through fragmentation, you lose intent. If you lose intent, then there is no more conversation. How do you build or what is your intent of the Strong Fit Seminars? It's to get people, uh, it's to, to tell people there are rabbit holes that we don't see, that we don't think about, especially in the fitness industry. And you are being lied to on a number of things. You And also, because I have a lot of coaches, right? And I want to tell them, like, I feel you, all of you, in the sense of there is no apprenticeship of coaching anymore. And you're a white belt or a blue belt, and you're basically what I call a t-shirt coach. Right, which is uh, chest up, knees out. Oh, that color looks good on you. That's what a white belt coach is, right? Where they just want people to look a certain way. And then as you progress, just like when you go purple belt, you discover your own game. And then you go like, okay, but I want more than chest up because it's not working. They keep getting hurt. I want to fix people. But now where do you go? You have nowhere to go. All you have is basically people telling you your knees need to go two degrees more or you need to push this or push that. So we keep being t-shirt coaches out there going like where well, the t-shirt is just going to look nicer. Like it's not about how you look. It's not what you do. It's how you do it, right? So, but how do you get to that place? How do you get to black belt? There is no more apprenticeship of coaching. And so I was like, all right, so I can bitch about it or I can try to fix it. So I was like, all right, I'll try to fix it. I'll make my own mistakes and I'm not perfect, and, but at least I'm trying. At least I'm out there trying to give coaches an apprenticeship so they can make their own mistakes. And it's not about doing what I do. It's about providing a safe place so they can, they can learn. So they can, but to learn, you need to be uncomfortable. So how are you going to be uncomfortable? You cannot be uncomfortable in a place that is not safe. So what I'm trying to do is build a safe place where I'll have my mentoring group in groups of 10 coaches so they can build a small tribe, be safe in that place and be willing to be uncomfortable and learn and challenge themselves into what they don't know, right? And so the seminar is my gateway to that, to tell them and I want them to know, no, no, this is just not about the opener and movement. Is there is an entire world out there and because I believe the coaches are the chosen people. We help people more than anybody else, right? Or at least we have the power to help people more than anybody else. And, but they all, we are being treated like commodities, like everybody always makes fans of trainers and coaches. It's like, yeah, yeah, I wish I had your life, man. Just telling people what to do. You, you coach three classes a day and then you make, you know, good money. Like, right, that's exactly mm -hmm. what happens. Uh -huh. um, and so you, you see a lot of those coaches that are uh, very, that lack confidence in who they are, in what their worth is, and how good of a job they do for the world right? We are the chosen people, but we are not being seen as such. So it's very hard for all of them. That's why they burn out. That's why they, because they, they, they care about people more than those people care about themselves. It's a lot like priesthood, 
right? Where you have those crises of faith because you go at it because you care about people so much. You want them to see better. They don't seem to want that. So you're putting more love out there than you receive. You start to doubt people. You have your crisis of faith. You start to burn out and everything. And because there is no one out there saying like, yeah, dude, I know. I've been through it and everything. But there's a way out. We can do more for people. We can help them. Let me show you how the human body works so you can help people more because I know that's what you join the coaching, not a career, vocation mm -hmm. for. Just like a priest. It's a vocation. It's not a job. Well, it's also, I hope those people can go back to their intent and purpose and their why. If they don't burn out, yes. Yep. I so, do believe so. so. I always believe so. How do you package, um, and I know you've, 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 you've sharpened the axe a bunch because mm -hmm. you've done a bunch of these. Yep. By the way, I remember when you were not doing them and I remember we were having a whole talk about content online. I'm like, dude, you should be making these videos. I know, I know. So, and I'm looking to my old videos back going like, oh my God. Uh, Love having them. So how do you decide or or package up information and present it in a way that satisfies you and is rememberable for the so that's why i struggle and i decided to not do to do it in a way that satisfies me and that's it because we tried like the whole uh, it has to be rememberable like i saw that guy saying like we should this way it's niched niche who said that the people that are the most dangerous to you are the one with the best intentions And that is very true. So the number of people showing me how to do pictures, how this, and none of this is me. So I don't have the universal truth and I don't intend to become Einstein. And so I will do what I do. And if I can, if that's enough to help a certain number of people in the world, then I will have done my part. And is the answer the most simple thing? I mean, is it come down to pre, like, simple information and that's why i always go back to knowledge like, right right it's not what it's how so can you connect to people so they all want me to have those pictures that are fancy and anything i was like i don't like it so instead i'm asking a friend of mine who's part of my mentoring program one of my coaches who drew, who's an is amazing at drawing i was like dude draw me draw me a poster of me having a blue pill and a white pill in my hands and that'll be the background image for the seminars and i'll say i'll be there at that date and that's it And that'll be my way of putting the stuff out there. And so the rest will be... is ignorance is bliss. I, this isn't me. I don't do that. I, maybe it's a fault of mine and so be it. Maybe that's the price to pay to have a brain that only does the same thing 24-7. Most likely. But I refuse to not be that. That's well, all these things pop up. It's still part of... It's not who you are. It's just part of the path and journey. Yeah, but they also like, that's what that poem is for, is people don't understand. I mean, the eye of a storm always. What happens when you leave the eye of the storm? Yeah, you get jacked up. Exactly. So I'm not, I'm staying in the eye of the storm. People don't understand where I come from. That's why. They don't understand my early 20s. They don't understand why my brother died, that I went through it as well, obviously. Uh, they don't understand yeah. my background. Yeah, you're, you're still going through it. No, not anymore. I, I was uh, 19. I, um, I had a choice to make. Um, the rage inside was to a degree that I just could not control it anymore, which I understand where it comes from now. But uh, back then, I did not. And I was like, I can't live like this anymore. So I took uh, an entire box of amphetamines, 24 of them. And I was like, I'm going to go walk around, right? And either when I come back, it's either I fixed it in my own head or I jump in the same. And I was dead serious. I'd either jump 
or I fix it. And I fixed it the moment I was going to jump. I moved toward the water and it went click and I was gone and I fixed it. That's what my brother didn't do. That's that. It's like that moment of under a certain amount of stress mm -hmm. where you're going to decide what kind of person you're going to You know what be. I did? I burned the test negative network. That's what I did. I burned my sense of self. That's exactly what I did on that bridge. But I remember that like it was yesterday. And uh, there were three people that passed by me. They looked at me funny. By me, they saw it in my eyes. But I was like, all right, I'm jumping. And I was dead serious too. I was, it was a true, I was like, I did, there was no lie there. I took the action of jumping and then it went click. I was like, huh. How high? Well, it was um, probably like what? 10 meters, 15 meters, but the December in the Seine? Nah, yeah. I'm drowning. It wasn't, the, the fall would not have killed me, but the drowning would have. By the way, I would have jumped and just let myself drown. I wasn't jumping to swim. If I'm jumping, that means I, I intend on dying and I will do that. I was taking action. I was dead serious too. That's the reason I fixed it, because I was dead serious. This is like uh, in Shogun, I don't know if you read that, but that moment where the guy actually goes mm -hmm. to kill himself and they stop him, that's what it was. He yeah. tries to stab him, to, and then they stop him, but in his mind, he was going to die. That's the freedom that I gained is that moment. I was weird for three days after. Yeah, no, that's like a, a pretty solid agreement. Or, uh, you've come to some like self-discovery and agreement with yourself. But you, and I mean, don't get me, I'm not telling anybody, yeah. go kill yourself. Don't get me wrong, right? But um, there's, there are certain questions that you face, right? And are you truly, are you true to yourself when you ask those questions? Because I was. Because I was like, I told myself, I either fix it or I die. And I was not lying. I, if you want something, truly something, then... But that's also, it talks about it in Shogun. That's the realization that I came to at that moment. Is like, you always have a choice. You can die. You always have a choice. You can just die. And so once you realize that, then you're like, all right, I'm cool. Then everything is a choice. Because you always have that choice. So any, how can any situation be stressful? Do you want to die? Usually the answer is no. By the way, yeah. So in any situations, do I want to die? No. Okay, I'm good. I'm gonna go do that. Hey, what, do yes, let's the do most, this. Then the most powerful instinct ever. <laughs> so when you think you don't want to do something, bullshit. That means you just have layers of shit that you bullshitting yourself about. I really think that there's something to that level of um, scaring the crap out of yourself oh, yeah. that really introduces you to yourself. <laughs> There's a, you know the funny thing from pure uh, biology? There's a moment uh, where you're close to death, right? Where the body releases something called dinorphin. And it's like the, the mercy button of nature because you don't feel anything. It's a very, very powerful endorphin. You don't feel anything anymore. But it does, it's very interesting. It does more than that. What it does is it resets any self-defense mechanism that you have. That's the goal. Is that's what you know when the gazelle is being at that moment? She is so much dinorphin. She's almost. Uh, she's basically not moving anymore. But that moment is basically a random button, a true random button that you have, where you're gonna try some crazy shit. Seems like nature introduced that to see. Okay, everything else has failed. Let's make you try something truly random. That's kind of mean, but that seems to be a random button. Nature has to figure out a new way to deal with an, a pattern, right? And so. That dinorphin basically allows you to wipe out 
every single self-defense mechanism bullshit that you have. I believe what I did is that allowed me to burn my sense of self, which I'm not supposed to rely on anyway, uh, in my case, and allowed me to go full-blown into an action-based person, which I still took me another 10 years not to bullshit myself about, by the way. Yeah. But at least I was able to live now. So I gradually started to take action. But I believe that's what the, I did that day on the bridge. From a biology perspective, from a philosophical perspective, yeah. I just found myself, that's all. I finally found myself. I peeled the layer of bullshit and we're like, your personality, all that stuff is not imposed on you. You have a choice. From that moment, the birth of your daughter and your brother, have you had any other moments like massive, like life-altering, changing, painful moments that have helped define the person you are? Not painful like that, no. But massive moments, yeah. Like it seems there's four or five moments in your life like that, just on the road where you take a, you go left or you go right. And there's been a few, one was from reading a book and uh, others were from just life experiences. But that, that crystallized certain things in my life that truly made me, instead of not knowing which way to go left or right, I was like, all right, I'm choosing right. So there's been a few times in my life where I'm like, all right, I'm making that choice. And it changed my life entirely. That, so bear with me, I have mm -hmm. an idea. When you when teaching um, movement patterns, and especially as it relates to the nervous system, mm -hmm. so obviously in your teaching, uh, internal and external torque is super important and yes. a big theme. Yep. Obviously, physically and as it relates to your nervous system and mm -hmm. training. Yep. And for listeners that don't know, even something as simple as a and I say simple because it's not simple. I mean, it's complex. No, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Yeah. So a push-up. Yep. Right? Something like a push-up. Most of us aren't doing push-ups correctly, I'd say. If you're not strong enough, you're not safe, so you're going to start doing certain things. Like a max box jump scares you, you're going to react differently. And therefore, you're going to move differently. So internal and external torque applied physically makes mm -hmm. a massive difference. Yeah. Is there some type of uh, way of thinking... Mm -hmm. same idea same idea but mentally yep. and thinking yep. external or internal torque that has to do, deal torque. with you dealing with life stress yeah yeah it's like that test negative network test positive network they're basically the same right I only see the brain as an extension I mean it is an extension of the of the nervous system so um, there's a way just like you can use words to go back into a fight or to go into a freeze mode right you can use thinking patterns exactly the same way so Thinking patterns are more like a feel, really, right? But so are you in a learning mode versus a my mind wanders mode? So the key with this is you can recognize your own signals and they're telling you which way you're going. Just like if you do a squat and you're stressed out, you'll see that you'll have a tendency to use your feet differently. That's proprioception. That's how the nervous system communicates with the ground and whatever you're grabbing, right? If you're stressed out or not, you'll move differently in that sense. You'll grab the ground with your feet differently. You'll grab something differently. If you're in a sympathetic state, you'll go toward the outside of your hands, right? So this, those are your antennas. That's how you're going to punch someone with, with the outside of your hand when you're super stressed out. Uh, the inside of the hand is for like gymnasts use it for control. So there are things like this, right? So your body reacts differently when it's stressed. So does your mind. Naturally, if you're in an unsafe place, you go toward the 
task negative network. So how do you know you are unsafe? You start to rig the signals and you go, when that happens, I do this and this and this. That means you are not safe. So instead of justifying it, maybe we can find you a way to go back to safety and that will put you back into a learning mechanism. So someone's facing a stress. How can they think? How can they have a, so a, a, is your a, mind, yeah. an external torque of a thought? For example, is your mind starting to wander? Right? You talk to yourself. When things are well, usually you don't. You just do the stuff, right? Your, your mind wonders about a specific thing. Uh, are you starting to think about the future? What would happen if something bad would happen? And usually you use words to do that. That means you're on a test negative network, right? Is your sense of self being challenged, right? Uh, is that a moral choice you need to make? All those are signs that you're not safe anymore. And that means external torque, that means sympathetic reaction, that means your heart rate is going up. So you have a number of signs like that from the way you think to your heart rate to the way you move that indicate that you are in a fight mode because you are not safe anymore. So the thing is, there's a lot of situations that, are, that we deem, by the way, they're not necessarily unsafe. They are, you feel they're unsafe. You, they are deemed unsafe by your system. That doesn't mean they are. That's just mm -hmm. your feeling of it. That's very important because that's when you have anxiety, for example, is when you think you're not prepared for a fight. You might be prepared for the fight, but if you feel you're not, you'll have anxiety about it. That's when anxiety is a driver toward the sympathetic as well, right? So a lot of it is not necessarily whether you're safe or not. It's whether you feel safe or not. And you don't always know that you don't feel safe in a situation because you don't understand why you would, feel, you would not feel safe because you don't remember that when you were a kid or whatever it comes from, right? So now the, one of the big keys to recognize when are you safe, when are you not safe? And you'll be surprised to see the situation where you deem yourself unsafe. It's very surprising. So if you know which signs to look at, then you'll go, shit, because that means you're in sympathetic far more often than you think. So, and that drains you. So I want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Now you have, we can break it down as parallels, right? Obviously yep. you have a physical expression and then a mental expression. Yeah. But it's kind of tough because I know they're they the same. It's okay. We, we, yeah. Let's make it simple. Let's yes. cut it down like that. So, and we talked earlier about the vagus nerve and the, the, Sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous mm -hmm. system. And why is that important? So obviously with intent and purpose is very important to both of us. Yes. And so this, this, this conversation, I want to express why this is important. It's going to help you be healthier and yes. be nicer to people. I mean, as simple as that. And, and, and understanding why sometimes, yeah, why you're stressed, why do you want to fight the person in front of you, why do you, are you so mean to your spouse, why are you yelling anyway, why are you using those aggressive words, why are you being shocked outside of your you know, safe zone, why, why do you act the way you act? And people go, well, yeah, that's just what I do. No, no, that's not true. So one of the things and, and, and that I really enjoy about StrongFit is that you're, you're essentially in a simple way through this pattern, teaching people to be able to apply force in a healthy manner. That's the first step, right? Yep. right. If you're not hurting all the time, it helps. And that's a push up or that's dealing with your wife. Yep. I mean, doesn't there's parallels. Mm -hmm. And so in order to, you, you touched on it earlier, but in order, and again, we're going self-awareness and self-regulation. Mm -hmm. So what are the, uh, a couple signs that someone can, pick up on to know that they're in a, in a sympathetic nervous system state, SNS. Yeah, so there's certain uh, typical body signs, for example, like your heart rate is higher, right? Out of the blue, suddenly 
you're like, oh, you do that because your heart rate went up, basically. So those are signs where you cannot recon- might, might not recognize consciously that you're in an unsafe situation, but your body does, right? So your, your heart rate goes up. Your breathing changes. You start to breathe through your mouth, right? So you start to basically breathe through your chest instead of your stomach. So like you might tighten up the four-pack, right? Like so suddenly you realize, man, it's I'm always... Uh, always tightening that up. Why? Those are all basically reactions that are related to the sympathetic nervous system. So it's not always anger or fear and stuff like that. Sometimes at a lower level, you can just read your body signs and see. The breathing is a great way to see it. Heart rate and breathing will tell you usually you're getting stressed out. So that that right there, and just for, for you know simple purposes, Yep. you can see somebody just... Mouth breathing by itself is a sign of the sympathetic nervous system. Chest breathing, right? So when someone breathes, do you see the shoulders going up and down, right? If they go up and down with the shoulder, that means they're using the upper trap. That's external torque. That's a sympathetic response. You think that's area breathing? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Exactly that. So you have um, chest breathing... Yeah, so shoulder breathing, your shoulders going up and out, up and down, basically. You'll start to see the way you, I mean, it's after it's more subtle stuff, but the way you grab something, are you going to go toward the outside of the hand or inside of the hand? Uh, Loss of coordination, you start to, yeah, uh, loss of, basically, your mind wanders a lot, like you can't focus on something straight. Uh, Those are all signs. I've called it thought drunk. Like, fuck me, what the, you know, oh, I'm supposed to grab a pen, I fuck, you leave and you didn't grab the pen and stuff like that, like you're completely lost. That's a sign yeah. that you're, you're in the sympathetic state. Yep. Or, or feeling that you're in a rush. Yeah, when you're not. So mm-hmm. usually you feel you're in a rush because your heart rate went up. Yep. And so that rushes you. So, so you're actually not in a rush, you're being rushed. So that's a sympathetic nervous system. Yep. Behind the curtain, all this stuff, it really, at the most simplest terms, comes down to your breath and your thoughts. And can control a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Then express and movement. Yeah. Physically, you can also. But the problem, for example, like you look at proprioception of the hands and feet, right? So, when you're the outside of your foot, that's an antenna, right? Whereas the inside of the foot is a control. This is where you'll test if the ice is thin or not. Is the inside of the foot? If let's say we were to to wear shoes that continuously dampen the contact on the inside of the foot, that means I would rely on being on the outside of the foot. That to the body is a signal that I'm continuously in a uh, dangerous environment. So by controlling proprioception, you could also indicate to the body that you're continuously in a state of danger, therefore in a sympathetic state. So shoes that are padded on the inside could indicate the body to go toward the sympathetic state continuously. So the problem is movement also can put you in that. Yes. Um, Side note. Just recently in my life, I discovered the power of walking barefoot on grass and dirt in, oh, in the environment. So it? Yeah. Holy smokes. I know. That's what you just nailed in your shoes, like, man. And then here's, here's, here's what I do. I go, what is this? Yeah. And then I, I start reading understand. about yeah, you know, exactly, negative yeah. charge and ions yeah. and grounding and That earth too. And that too. But just on the human level alone, yep. it's been talked a lot for a long time. The, the key is, is to feel in the inside of your foot, like that big knuckle. Try to feel stuff there. You'll be surprised how little padding and muscle there is there. By the way, left, look at the left versus the right because most of the time you'll see a big difference there too. All right, we'll check it out. So then you have the sympathetic nervous system, which is again, mm-hmm. uh, uh, fight or flight, 
Yeah. Uh, freeze. Hunting, being hunted. Yeah. Freeze is on a parasympathetic. That's a dorsal vagus nerve, actually. Right. But fight or flight is a sympathetic, so that's uh, hunting and being hunted, if you want. Okay. The difference is one wants to be there, the other one doesn't. And then the parasympathetic nervous side is... You have two sides. You have the freeze button, which is on yep. the dorsal side, like the afferent system. And then you have the ventral vagus nerve, right? So the part that allows us to socialize, that we have created as mammals, right, for the last million years. And that is so important to us because without that, there is no society. That is the part that controls the expression of your face. That is, uh, there's so much stuff on that side. So you said earlier, there's three ways to, to stimulate the vagus nerve to help mm -hmm. you get shift back over the para, uh, parasympathetic nervous yep. system. And what are those three? Movement, breathing, nutrition. Okay. So let's break them down a little bit. How can we move in a way that sets us up for success in the PNS? So for example, let's say, let's take about, uh, walking, basic stuff. So that means that you would go from the outside of your foot to the inside of your foot. You will not stay on the outside. You would plant the outside of the foot and move toward the big toe, or toward the big knuckle, because that is the movement, movement pattern that we were created to have. So that creates some kind of a rocking. Uh, like if you walk like this from the outside to the inside, let yourself do it for like two minutes, and you'll walk like you have soul. Send you. You'll, you'll move like a black dude that has soul and then he's like, you started to rock the hips and everything. That rocking back and forth also has something to do with your, you know, your balance, uh, the balance system in your ear and stuff like that. So we activate a number of things. We're supposed to walk like that. But you introduce shoes that dampen the inside of the foot and you stay on the outside. Then you become basically a sympathetic machine on that aspect. So that, that's one way. Is there By the way, way, look at handstand walk. It's the same yeah. thing. You go outside to inside. Uh, I know there's a whole bunch, but is there another way? Well, for example, if you have imbalances in muscles, that means, let's say, you're always in sympathetic, you're going to basically train like that, so you're going to develop muscles that drive you toward external torque. That would keep you uh, the same way into more a sympathetic state. And so you could create an entire system that is designed to go sympathetic at any moment. I'm going to get into uh, um, nutrition and breath in a second. Mm -hmm. But an, a, an overarching theme for me here, and, and I'm going to ask you, is this the gateway for it? And that is, how do you train your soul? That's a parasympathetic side. So there is, there's no question there. So this is this this walking through this path, this doorway, is how you train your soul. Yeah, and it's through the the, the parasympathetic yeah. nervous system. There's no question. All right. So I just want to make yes, it's in my That's head, it. but I want to make sure it's in the listener's head. That's as well, positive. Is, yes, is where my intention is. Yes. So you have. Movement. I would also say, uh, um, like, where does you know, like Tai Chi and yoga same idea flow? Yeah, it's all th those movements. They're all cyclical movements, very much in flow and everything. It's the same idea. Try to balance both, right? But they go more toward the parasympathetic. But you'll see that same like uh, movement from outside to inside. You'll see it in most forms. Um, I think it's really important. I've talked about this on the show before that. A warrior and that doesn't mean like a fighter like we're all in our own battles mm -hmm. right? so and if you are in that battle and you're stepping up you're a warrior and usually especially the, the greatest battlefield is in our mind yes so a warrior has to be skilled in action and non-action mm -hmm. again it kind of is coming down to this i'm feeling this feeling a strong vibe on this theme of life of the yin and yang the light and the dark the, and the safe system, and unsafe right? yes yeah so in a way on a side note, it kind of trips me out that I'm just to be able to go down this path of discovery and look at things in that sense. Mm -hmm. So 
it's important to 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 train hard, right, and to run hard and sprint and get your exercises in and deal with yeah. stress in life. But again, it's also just as important to, to build the flip side of it, which is an yeah. I say non-action, but it's kind of some light action. So when it comes to the, traveling down that the path of the the PNS, so we got the movement part, mm-hmm. um, breath. Yes, very important as well. So not the chest breathing, not the mouth breathing, right? To be able to inhale through the nose, exhale. Like you'll be surprised. Like get people to exhale fully without contracting their four pack. Try to get that out of people and see how it is, hard it is to exhale without contracting your abs. You're not supposed to. You can just relax your stomach completely, like you're uh, eight months pregnant, right? Whatever. And then inhale through your nose and exhale through your lips and see how far you exhale without contracting your abs. And you will see that people in that sense of that breathing mobility is so small. The, the breath work component is super fascinating to me. And side note for the listeners, um, kind of cool, Patrick uh, McEwen, who wrote The Oxygen Advantage, he's kind of the pioneer in, in our modern times of uh, breathing through your nose. And why you see certain athletes like Tia Claire Toomey and stuff, posting stuff and doing nasal breathing. Right. This is 5,000 years old. No, no, absolutely. I'm no, saying, no, I'm not saying modern it, times. Yeah, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking yeah. about the fact that I found amazing that we lost this. It's been studied and tried yeah. by every single martial art that exists, by the way. We, we, we knew how to do this. I can't believe we actually lost breathing. That's just mind-boggling that, to me. Well, uh, the good news is, is that he's going to be on the next episode of the CC Way podcast. He's coming on. He'll, he'll be on the show in a week or two, and then I'm not sure when I'll get the episode out. That's so cool. I'm kind of excited about it because yeah. we're, we're really going to go off the deep yeah. end on, on breathing, all yeah. things breathing. But for now, the simple term, is one, if anything, start breathing through your nose. Inhale through your nose. This is how you clean the air anyway, and there's, uh, that's how you release like, you know, the NO2 and all that stuff. So the, it, you're designed to inhale through your nose, not through your mouth. The, oh man, okay, I'm, I'm not going to go off the deep end on this, but it's fascinating oh, to it's me. it's nonstop. So right? Yeah, yeah. The, the, how I, I've kind of learned that the inhale is a sympathetic thing. If, and that where the exhale is where the PNS is. You, for example, if you exhale through your lips, you can activate the parasympathetic much, in a much stronger way. On top of it, like you'll feel, you know, those are pleasure receptors and everything. So it, 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 there's a lot of stuff. But if you inhale a certain way, you can also, it's like a vibration. You can also activate the vagus nerve to have better control of your heart rate. The inhale, you can test mobility of a muscle just by through inhale and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So there's, there's an entire connection of inhale versus exhale and how the body moves. So if you understand that, you can start playing. By the way, sometimes I do want a max sympathetic response, let's say for a power clean. So I'm not going to breathe the same way when I do the power clean than when I do something cyclical like a butterfly pull up or a relaxed movement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I it's think not probably the same. The, uh, uh, a good example of that would be like a Kia on a strike, a punch or a kick. Yeah, exactly. It's like that. <gasps> yeah. Right? right? But it's also that vibration that allows you to control the vagus nerve and stuff like that. So there are different ways to breathe based on the movement you're doing. That just me out, man. The vibration that you create, the sighing, the, mm-hmm. I've talked about on the show, the Whole ocean breath. <laughs> like, yeah, the ocean, yep. like constricting, mm-hmm. like make it slowing mm-hmm. down your exhale, yep. humming. Yep. All these things help stimulate your vagus nerve, 
helps you switch over the, the, the parasympathetic Or at state. least build a stronger arch. Because if you're in the ocean, the ocean will bring the sympathetic side. And you cannot deny that. Otherwise, you drown. That'd be stupid, right? But if you can activate the other side, right, you can build a stronger arch so that they feed off each other instead of fighting each yeah. other, which well, is the key I, as well. I think, um, I don't know if you misunderstood, I was ocean breath because that's what that's called because it's no, no i know i know but i'm talking about like you know uh for example for people actually in the ocean right mm -hmm. is you can't be fully in parasympathetic either i don't want people to be mistaken about that you're going to be no, somewhere absolutely. there's a moment where the two can work together that's the key is you don't have to be in parasympathetic or sympathetic the two can work together as well all right so let's talk let's paint a picture here uh i'm gonna paint a picture in a second mm -hmm. nutrition yeah how do, how how does what you eat make you more relaxed? So we have uh, three types of enterotypes of in the macrodome, right? If they want to know, you have ruminococcus, you have something called provotella, and then the bacteroids. Anyway, it's... And this is all bacteria. Yeah, so okay. bacteria and microbes and, and even viruses, except we don't know what they do. Um, the problem is we've been only able to study them for like, what, 18 years now? Because you cannot grow them in a petri dish. 80% of them, so we don't know what they do. So what we realize, though, is that they're living creatures whose genome is about 100 times more complex than humans. So that makes you feel good about yourself. Um, and they talk to us. We know that through the nervous system, so that's, uh, it's a fact. And the thing is, some of them are, eat certain things. That's the best way I can tell you. So the bacteroids, for example, are responsible for digestion of protein, BCAs, and saturated fats. The prevotella is job is carbs and sugar. So what you eat over time will give you a colony based on more one group or the other. And so that voice, right, is going to be built through your diet. Your diet can change the voice that those that they send through the nervous system to the brain. So it creates its own. So you have three voices basically. You have your rational thoughts, you have nervous system, and you have the gut flora as well. And so. For example, we know that the carbs, when you eat carbs, you trigger a sympathetic response, right? That's, that's been tested many times. That's what the prevotella is responsible for as, as when it comes to enterotypes. And so you can see a relationship between them and the, the sympathetic relationship. So if I put you in a training session that is extremely sympathetic, right? Um, there seems to be a way when I do that, right? Because we tested it. Where I get the prevotella, obviously, that must be ready to go because then I can give you sugars that you could not have naturally. That means somebody who's very much lactose intolerant, if I train them a certain way, I can give them milk and then they don't feel it anymore. So that gives you a relationship between the, your body and those living creatures that reside in your stomach. So the problem with that is if we're saying that the carbs trigger a sympathetic reaction, that means that that diminishes the digestion in that sense, right? Uh, carbs start to digest in your mouth. They're much less uh, energy-consuming digestion-wise than, let's say, protein. So you have carbs trigger the, the sympathetic, less blood flow, number of things. That means you don't digest as well. So that means that if you have protein and carbs together, you can't digest the protein well. So you might be putting the protein in your mouth, but you're not digesting it, so you're not processing the nutrients correctly. So that's undigested food or whatever that stays in your stomach that can destroy part of the flora that can create its own problems. So your diet over time will influence your behavior and obviously your nervous system. And so now we're back to the same problem. So what do people that are always in sympathetic crave? Sugar. So they create their own monster. And so what do they do at night? They drink. 
or they get sugar, which of course drive them more toward parasympathetic. And before you know, you have an extremely imbalanced life. So you create your own monster. A lot of people are just going, dang, that's me at nighttime. Yes. So that therefore, okay, so what do you want at nighttime? You want to enter a healing phase, right? What is a healing phase? So parasympathetic. How do you trigger the max parasympathetic reaction possible? What is the hardest thing to digest? Red meat. So you want to sleep well, you want a healing face at night, have protein, like lean red meat, for example, some veggies, but no carbs, and see how you enter that healing face, that sluggish face that you have after that, that will allow you to sleep better. Having carbs at night will trigger a sympathetic reaction that is not what you want before you go to bed. Um, two points to back up, because I wanted to get through those, mm-hmm. those three topics. Yeah. Um, First of all, when you're talking about the, the breath through the nose and the exhale through the mouth and how mm-hmm. that stimulates your, your PNS, lips. right? Mm-hmm. I wonder, I just, it, the thing that came up to me there was that is my go-to that helps me regulate myself like in the first five seconds of when I'm in the ice bath. Mm-hmm. Because what is the ice bath? It's something physically driving you towards sympathetic. So what is the first thing you do is mentally drive yourself toward the PNS. So therefore, you use your breathing to do that. So you're building a stronger arch. So therefore, you're using the cold of the water to drive a stronger parasympathetic reaction. And that's why you feel awesome. That won't work if you're not in the ice because there is no need to drive the parasympathetic very high because the arch is not there. Yeah, and I also struggle a lot more when I don't have my ability to focus on that. Or don't, yeah. I guess if my breath isn't there, mm-hmm. well, I'm not paying attention. Because sometimes my kids are out there. And, I'm, I'm and not, then it's going to be so much colder. It's, yeah. it's so Every much time colder. I struggle yeah. like it's the first time I ever got in it. Exactly. Right? Because you cannot bring your parasympathetic up because your kids are there. They, so that's a stimulus that is, in a way, unwelcomed at your periphery. That triggers the test negative network I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And then now you're unsafe. The so, afferent system yeah. is being triggered. So here's, here's kind of like the lesson there for me um, is... I'm in a stressful environment and what I think, how I think and how I breathe is going to affect me and, Directly. and not, not allowing an external force to take that away from exactly. me. Exactly. Right. So the key is you're not unsafe. Those are your kids. But it can, there's a part of your nervous system that it's going to go, it's going to ask you the questions. Hey, are we safe? This is where the control comes in, where you go, yes, I am safe and, ha- and I'm going to concentrate on my breathing and bring, you back, bring myself back to the place where I want to be, which is on the parasympathetic side, on the test positive, where I'm safe, focused, learning from the experience that I'm currently yeah. going through. Well, the safe part is also subjective because most of the time they're messing around with the ice and splashing me. So I don't know if I'm fully safe. It doesn't help. <laughs> but, but that's the key. So you can, but that's also a good exercise to learn control. Absolutely, yeah. It's all... It's, so again, for me, it kind of goes back to um, uh, having a self-awareness of what I can do for myself and the ability to self-control. Yes. Exactly. Auto-regulation, self-regulation is everything. Yes. You are not a passive victim of your system. Yep. That's, to me, that's always been the lesson is that is you, ha- you can control it. There are ways, but you have to understand it to control it, right? Because you have to understand where the signals come from and that sometimes those are necessarily signals. This is just your nervous system going, hey, dude, are we sure about this? And if you learn to talk to your nervous system and say, yes, I am, and we're going, it's like, okay, let's do this. I'm just making sure. Yep. It's just that voice in the back going like, dude, you know that voice of reason once in a while? 
Like the wife in the back saying, are you, honey, are you sure? Yes. Okay, let's do this. But she's going to ask. Good. Yep. Yes. So that, that ability, and, and I, use, I call it resilience training, is the same thing. Yes. The same thing, whether it's in an ice bath or carrying a sandbag. It's all the same idea. Same idea. Your, your system will ask you, are you safe or not? Right? And you need to learn to answer. And most people don't. And so, of course, the system takes control. Because if you're not answering, the system is like, all right, that means we're unsafe, I'm taking over. Right? Yep. The key is to build a voice strong enough to tell your system, no, you don't need to take over. We can do this. And that is one of the, the beautiful concepts of the way you teach yes. strong fit. Yes, exactly. You it's know. like, all right, go find yourself. I have a new workout that I put out out there on the coaches week. I murdered like six of them, eight of them. And then there's one that got it. I got exactly the neurological reaction I was looking for. She was high as shit for like five hours straight. She could not talk. She was, because I had a full sympathetic reaction, but in a good way. And she, so she was in a full like, because um, I allowed her to fight through it and to come off the other side. So she had a full test positive response. So she found safety through the fight. And so that, that produces so much stuff in her head. She was like high as shit. It was awesome to watch. She could not talk. She was looking at me. She was like, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and she was just super focused and everything was awesome. The other guys found themselves because once they hit the wall, like some started crying and everything. Like you find yourself real fast in those workouts. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and the other thing I wanted to point out earlier with the relationship of all this stuff and the dichotomy, and you brought up an arch a mm -hmm. few times. Yeah. And, and so um, the, the arch theory. Yeah. And how that works in construction and everything and understanding mm -hmm. the balance of that. Um, can you just explain that for the listeners? Yeah, it's very simple. It's for the nervous system, for example, the medical world, um, to study any system in science, you need to go to the edges. Like, you know, who's more aggressive, men or women? 60, 40. So you can't really tell. So you go to the edges, top 1,000 most aggressive people, all men. Top 1,000 most amicable people, women. So men are more aggressive than women. Right? You go to the edges and then you make it work in the center. For the nervous system, they studied it in a way like you're either in parasympathetic or either in sympathetic. And they studied it like that. The problem is they never put it back together. So they never mentioned the fact that you, they can actually work together. So you have Mike on one side, you have John on the other. Sometimes Mike is talking, sometimes John is talking, but sometimes Mike and John talk to each other. Or they scream at each other or stuff like that. So yeah, those create more situation to deal with but if we only study Mike and John and not their interaction we're in trouble right so that was the idea of the arch was like no 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 sometimes Mike and John work together right and we need to know when that happens you know when that happens first date women of your dreams you walk up the stairs you're scared as shit but your first instinct is not when she opens the door to punch her in the face hopefully I mean American society has ruined dating but uh, you do not want to punch her in the face right away I just went until she asked. And um, so, but you go up those stairs and you have a sympathetic reaction. Heart rate is up. Senses are very attuned. Adrenaline is pumping. Those are all sympathetic signs. On the same time, you are trying to socialize like a lot, right? That's a parasympathetic. That's a ventral vagus nerve. So you have the ventral vagus nerve and the sympathetic. They're all joining the party to make you as excited as you possibly can be. That's the two working together. And if... You start to be, but you know, like if you're, you say, oh, she's going to say no, man. Then the sympathetic takes over, you freak out, and then you go into test negative, and now you start to talk to yourself, and you say, maybe I shouldn't ask her out, because who's going to have, I'm sure she's going to say no anyway. And now you talk yourself into freeze, where you're just not going to do shit anymore. 
I'm annoyed just at the thought of that thought. The ability to, like, based on your assumption, yep. you're putting thoughts that turn into feelings and emotions on an imagination. And, but that's the role of the test negative network is to try to figure out what the other person is thinking. That's literally its role because there's a, there's a reason for it because you need to know if you're safe or not. So th there's a reason for it. The problem is it's going to never let you do anything. That's the afferent part. That's the opposite of action. That's the problem with words. That's the problem with what they call empathy and everything. I'm like, it's all good as long as it doesn't drive you to inaction because at some point you're going to have to go ask her out. Otherwise, you're never going to do shit with your life ever. There's always a reason not to, by the way. Like, I should never have jumped into the seminars, if you look at it, right? I finally got, I'm finally making money, first time in my life. My, I'm single father, Yaya has to go to school. Who in their right mind would ever go on a world tour with six locations? And no plan after that. I'm sure there's Tinder and all these places. Well, there's at least one. <laughs> there's at least one guy who was crazy enough to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but why? Because I, I just do shit. I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Yeah, you're doing something. You have to do, and maybe you fail, by the way. You can only do if you're willing also to fail, yep. because failing is an action. As long as I take action, I'm fine. What I cannot take is not trying. I never mind failing, because failing is an action. As long as I take action, I am me. I am myself. You are, a, you are your actions, not your words. Um, and just to kind of tidy up the, the arch theory, mm -hmm. can you talk about one side versus the other you put an, an arch is built let's say a bunch of uh, uh, concrete blocks right mm -hmm. and, you, and you build an arch it's there it's balanced so the point of it is balance and then it's balance and to make it bigger that means you need to build tension from both sides so let's let's take a depressed person many times they're trying to remove stressors from their lives that's not the point the point is not to make the arch smaller because then you're stuck at home and you never go out. Mm -hmm. The point is to allow you to build tension on the other side, which is to teach you how to deal with the stressors so that you can go back out there and have a normal life, right? So the key is never to make the arch smaller, is to build tension on the other side so you can make it bigger. Put more bricks on it, yep. always. Yep. Not less bricks, more bricks. Just put the bricks in the right place because if you put the bricks on one side, the arch collapses. So you need balance, you need bricks on both sides and try to make the arch bigger, so put more bricks on the, but on the right side of it. And the way I also interpret that is with, with force on top of that arch, pushing down, mm -hmm. whether that's life, whether that's a sandbag or Your roots, ice, yep. whatever it is, mm -hmm. that arch gets stronger. You need tension to build the arch. Yep. There is no arch without tension. So you need stress. It just has to be handled the right way. It's as simple as that, everybody. Yeah. Basically, but he works through action. When you, words basically remove the stress. That's their, that's their goal, really. Uh, a couple of things I want to, I want to, I don't want to finish up without talking about. And that is your, um, your application of how you train people to keep them in a certain state. Mm -hmm. And the, the acronym you use is SEW. Can you just explain that a little bit? The SCW? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the West, I mean, we'll go with West now, but it's the same no, idea. I messed that up. Yeah, no, it's the same thing. Um, the idea was, so to create stress, right? Yeah. You need to create, let's say training. You need to create intensity, right? So 
And so not pacing, but like really balls to wall. The problem with that is if you go crazy with that, you'll get hurt. You get hurt, your brain learn, your brain just learned that that's not a good idea and your nervous system is like, hey, that's not safe. So then next time it's going to hold you back, create more pain. The pain feeling comes from that. It's the body holding you back, basically. So that means like, well, all right, so if I want to teach people to deal with stress, with intensity, I'm going to have to find it in a way that is safe, safer anyway, right? And I was like, all right, so let me try to figure this out. And I come up with the idea of the SCW. The W is for weight-bearing, the E is for eccentric, and the S is for skill. I'm going to try to keep those three to the minimum, right? So that that would allow me, so the lower the waist, right? As a, let's say you associate a number on an exercise, weight-bearing-wise, eccentric-wise, and skill-wise, the lower the waist, the stronger, the, the, the safer you are, basically, right? So what does that mean? That means if I try to do 100 reps and I do it on the back squat, I'm going to put a lot of stress on my hips and knees. Right. If instead of that, uh, I would say, let's say I would do a sled. A sled has no weight bearing on the spine. So there's very little stress there. There's no eccentric, what's almost no eccentric. And there's almost no skill. So low weight bearing means I wake up the next day, my back is not wrecked. Right? My, knee, my knees are fine from pushing anyway. Eccentric means my muscles are not beat up. Because on 100 squats, it's a lot of eccentric. I'm going to be very sore the next day. That can be dangerous. And because I've limited the skill, means I have no reason to stop. On the sled, why are you stopping? Because you want to. You can always take two more steps. And so you can push the intensity through that idea to the, I mean, not never absolute max, but close to it without having to pay a price for it in, uh, in pain in that sense. So it's a way to trick the system into allowing you to go into a greater intensity. It's almost the way I look at it is, and the, the reason I found this fascinating, I was like, Why is Julian stuff such an effective dose? So simple yeah. and effective. Yeah, because we did not go out of quantity. We went out of quality. The quality of the stress is what matters. The quantity is dangerous. If you have quantity of stress, it will wear you down, right? The world becomes unsafe. So what I'll do is I'll find an exercise that is very safe where you really cannot get hurt, which is a sled. And then that will allow you to push to the greatest intensity one time, learn to deal with it, and done. What's your most challenging uh, workout or accomplishment you have done with uh, an external load? Um, probably the yoke carry, because that was a number I really wanted, that, uh, the thousand pounds. And because on the first step, I felt my femur bending. I was like, shit. And I was like, so what do I do? Well, I go right step then obviously. And I was like, oh, my right femur bent as well. All right, all right, so what do I do? Well, I go left step. And so I went like that for like until I couldn't carry it anymore. But like, literally, I felt my legs, not my legs, my femur bending on every single step. Thank God it went well. Yeah, well, you're a little shorter now. <laughs> yeah, but, and I'm not saying I was a good idea in any shape or forms, yeah. by the way, but it's stuff like that because I was a mental, like it was the weirdest feeling I've ever had under a load ever and every single thing in my system told me dude put it down and I was like yeah but I really want to go to that line so there was that that and the second thing would be like that one time I did the harness uh, with the sled and I went to the end of the parking lot I took two steps and I was like let me just go on my knees for a second and then I woke up 10 minutes later with my face drooling on the parking lot Nobody helped me, by the way. I guess they didn't give a shit. But um, I literally like woke up going like, what just happened? Yeah, it was a power nap. Yeah, sure. No problem. What did you do when you woke up? 
I, I woke up drooling on the parking lot and I was like, huh, it was hot by the way, so my face did not feel good. I was like, I need to scrape all the gravel of my face, so I should go back inside. It took me like five minutes because my legs were short, but I was like, did I just push that hard that I basically blacked out? Yep, yes I did. Oh, it seems like you just took a little nap. Yeah, it's a power nap. <laughs> oh, Julian's just taking a nap. Yeah, he's fine. They're probably just like, yeah, he does that all the time. Don't worry about him. But like, I, I, remember, I still remember that, that one because I, I pushed, I wanted to quit halfway through and I was like, nah, not today. What does Yaya think of all this stuff? Uh, she's like, yeah. No, actually, that's not true because um, she started to do the training at the seminars with us more and more and more and a bunch of times I've seen her uh, go on the sled and cry halfway through but not quit and I, I, I was next to her and I said yeah you can stop whenever you want she's like no and she kept screaming and crying and went through and then there was a one time we were in Prague no, um, yeah we were in Prague and um, oh, so cute <laughs> so she's crying halfway through like screaming and everything I'm like honey you can stop she's like no don't and she screams and so she finishes and everything, and then she walks and leg wobbly, she um, lays down and crying and everything, and she's like, and I'm so sorry. And I was like, why? It's like, I was mad at you. I was like, honey, that's okay. Everybody's mad at me when they do the sled. They all hate me. Look at them. Nobody wants mm -hmm. to like me. She was like, yeah, but I, I was really angry at you. I was like, honey, that, it's okay to show anger. That's completely fine. You still love me. Don't worry about it. But she, was, she felt so bad at how angry she was at me for, for doing the sled. That was so awesome. Well, I mean, you represent, um, you, you know, symbolism, right? It's not actually... No, I, I, know, I know why, but I just thought the way she said it was so cute. It was, the, the way she said, I was so angry at you. I was like, honey, so is everybody else. And that's okay. It's just, it was funny because then I was like, then, then she truly pushed. For a 13-year-old to feel that much anger out of pushing a sled, I was like, honey, that was awesome. Wow, she's 13 now. Yeah, I know. They do that. She's turning 14 in two weeks, man. I kid you not. December 16th. What's the uh, the uh, um, illegal driving limit where you guys are? Uh, 18. Oh, wow. I still got time. time. Yeah, right. I'm fine. Otherwise, it'd be coming right around the corner if you were here. No, no. We're on, bi on bicycles. This is Holland. Oh, yeah. We don't drive. So she's on bicycle. She does her stuff, man. She leaves in the morning sometimes. I go to a coffee shop, comes back at four in the afternoon. All right. I did my homework. I'm good. All right. Um, what book are you reading right now? Or books? Where am I right now? Um, I'm rereading What is Life by Schrodinger. She's the, the book that changed everything for me. That's a very uh, um, big book for you. That's a very important book. Yes, that's the book. Mm -hmm. The concept is the most profound thing I've ever read. Didn't make a ripple in the world, but that book changed everything. Yeah. That book changed everything. Uh, I was reading uh, Jordan Peterson the other day. I like what he does. Uh, so there's always a bunch of books. There's always one or two science fiction books or whatever. I don't feel like going necessarily too deep in rabbit holes. And mm. um, what do I have? Oh, yeah, right. I have Bone with uh, that's quantum mechanics. Um, I have a book about evolutionary biology. can't remember who that is. So uh, there's always usually four or five at the same time. Yep. Um, speaking of which. I forgot, I got you a present. Oh. Well, outside. Well, I'll give you that in a second. I got, oh. So I got this book. Uh, it's called The Brain's Way of Healing. Hmm. The Brain That Changes like it. Itself. So it's all about neuroplasticity. Oh, I like that. So. Oh, I like that. Thank you. That's cool. This, 
this book popped up on my radar from um, interview you did with Tony Blower. So it was one of the books mm-hmm. that he had recommended. Yep. So oh no shit, I had I'm listening to it. I'm like oh let me go check this out. Oh that's great. So I started going down it. And I'm like ah oh, it's fascinating because it talks about the nervous system and everything. Mm-hmm. It talks about the brain and it, it actually actually um, um, I'm actually gonna get another one so I can take all kinds of notes through it because I want to write in the one for you that I'm giving you. But thank you. It also talks a lot about, um, I don't like to call them disorders and everything, but even like uh, stuff like autism and how the brain can kind of like... Yeah, but that's because we have the wrong idea about autism. There's something yeah. called the imprinted brain theory out there that basically shows that the spectrum is actually not an autism spectrum. You have um, what's called schizotypal, like a schizophrenia on one side, autism on the other. And basically, it seems to be like a set of genes that we have that is res- that is uh, shaped, so the the expression of those genes are shaped by the society we live in. 10,000 years ago, we were very unsafe, and so there were more schizotypal types of behavior, paranoia. Why? Because when that bush is moving over there, you better be sure that something is coming to get you. Uh, promiscuity, because you have to be linked to a mate because of his position in the tribe, not necessarily because you love him so much, because most likely he's going to die. And so there was a number of behavior like that that were based on a society that is unsafe. You move to the world today that became very safe. We don't have any sympathetic drivers anymore. You always you have food, you have shelter, you don't go into fights anymore, right? So you're stressed, but you're not in a true yeah. sympathetic reaction. So in a society that is that safe, basically, you would see something like autism behavior that pops up, which is being very good at one thing and one thing only. You have to dominate no more predators, but your own, your own species. That means you have to be very good at one thing. Uh, you start to see a number of behavior patterns that the autistic people have that fit a safe society. So maybe a, if you want in that sense an evolutionary uh, step up basically for the human species to be better at what they do. I think the imprint theory might be mentioned in that book. It's uh, faci- probably because it's fa- because the idea is that it's just a set of we have, we, we have the genes from going from schizotypal, like schizophrenia, if you want, right? Mm-hmm. We have those genes all the way to autism, right? And they're just being triggered based on environment. But not from, like, uh, in your lifetime, based on the, from an evolution perspective, which is it's a group thing. Evolution doesn't, doesn't care about one individual. It cares as a number of individuals. It's playing the, the numbers, basically, right? So if you look at a society that evolves for evolution very fast, 10,000 years is extremely fast for evolution. It's slow for us, but it's very fast for evolution, right? There's going to be some leeway at the top. The structure is the same, but there's some leeway to adapt to a fast-moving world, evolutionally speaking. And that would be the expression of a behavior, right? The behavior is what changes in a society that changes so fast. And so schizophrenia, in that case, is a behavior, and so is autism. Autism being the next step. So you go from schizophrenia all the way to autism, and the safer the society, the greater the step toward autism. Um. A few more questions, and I'm going to wrap this up because yep. obviously we can do this forever. Yes, yes, we could. Um, that being said, I'm glad you have someone like Tyler with you to get to experience your Sean Fit podcast yeah. and kind of be there and guide. Yes, and keep me in track. That's his. That's yeah. his job. And trust me, he's sweating. And just know, Tyler, I'm listening and watching you. <laughs> exactly. So you are being judged. Yes, Tyler. <laughs> um. So one thing we didn't necessarily talk about, I'm just kind of curious and how the impact went was, um, you know, you were on Chris Moore's podcast 
Yeah. Barbell Buddha, right? You were <sighs> Do you know what at the, the end of the day? I think if I'm, I think that was Valentine's Day. I kid you not. And I got there at one in the afternoon. The podcast is at six or seven. We ended up finishing talking at 10 where he's supposed to have dinner with his wife and everything. At the time I was my ex, she was there too. We just fucking talked all day. Well, I'm glad you had that time because he ended up obviously uh, passing away about four months later. Or even less than that, I think. Or not maybe four months later. Yeah. I remember a call June. from Charlotte one morning uh, saying like uh, he passed. And I was like, what does that mean? He passed what? Gas? Like, what do you mean? I don't understand. It's like, yeah, he, uh, you know, he collapsed. And it's like, what do you mean? Like, I couldn't, I did not process it. It's like six in the morning. She called me six times because she's in England and I'm in um, mm-hmm. Torrance. I'm like, what do you mean? I, it took me six months to process his death. I didn't, I did not understand. They're like, what do you mean? Dude, he's 30, what, six, seven at the time? I said, what do you mean? That was hard. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know if you ever knew this, but, he was a uh, he and 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 you and Charlotte and uh, were a pretty large impact on me starting this podcast. Mm, that's cool. That's cool. He was a um, he was a friend. Well, it's cool that you had that time because again, yeah. we we talked. We really talked. Yeah, you actually, like have a conversation. A real yeah. yes, we did. A real good conversation. Yeah. Yes, we did. And so there is something to time right and that what aspect. you do with yep. it if you notice that's why i have my newfound like m- my uh memento mori stuff up here so that tulip skull and the hourglass mm-hmm. simply put life death and time i like it and the hourglass is generally mm-hmm. the only thing moving right it's yep. the only thing in timing it's only going in one direction mm-hmm. yeah and so being being aware of time and how precious it is and how completely susceptible and dangerous the world is and how life is and how easily anything can go away at any point in time, completely unexpected. So people like Chris Moore is why I really try and do as much purpose, intention, and love into these podcasts. Because you don't know. I can't tell and, you that. Yeah, and that was his thing. Right? Yeah. And, and, just like, and just like you had you know, talked about on a lot of podcasts, you don't, I can't say for sure that five o'clock will be here. Yeah. Five o'clock will be here, but I don't know if you or I will. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Five o'clock will show up. Who's there is a different morning. Yeah. So I just wanted you to know that like a little, that flickering thought in the background and that I take, I take attention, especially people's attention, mine, of course, but your attention and time. And then especially the listeners, all these, these things are like, Invaluable commodities. <laughs> yes, they are. Right? Invaluable commodities. Mm-hmm. So like what you pay attention to, what you whatever you decide to give the gift of your attention, because that's a gift. You, you, you give, you're giving it to something and it's mm-hmm. not staying there, right? Not permanently. But all that stuff matters. And to do so with, with intent and love and purpose. I think sometimes there is a place maybe for some people to be able to do something that has no intent or purpose or anything. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's why the Kardashians exist. <laughs> or to remind us what not to do, but yeah. Like how painful would it be for you to sit and watch a marathon of the Kardashians? No. Right? No. Oh my gosh. No. So, you know, what you pay attention to kind of shapes who you are. 
And so one thing I just want to point out is, one, you know I love you. I'm super proud of you. Thank but you. I'm also like, like completely humbled and grateful for your time that you drove up here. Always, man. Right. We've been through a lot and we're get, yes. going to hopefully go through some more. Exactly. And some more growth and be able to reconnect and stuff. And so for one sure. of the things, you know, sometimes I think I, I have my words, right? To be able to provide uh, gratitude towards somebody or something. But I'm always asking, like, what more can I do? And so one of the things from, from me to you is I can provide this book. Oh, that's awesome. Which is information I'm, that, I'm may, that, may, that yeah. may turn into knowledge. Mm-hmm. And exactly. People. But another thing is that, that, you know, my promise to you and my promise to people like Chris Moore and to, to my dad uh, is to be able to do things well, full intention, on purpose, and with love. And to do this stuff like That's this. That's a good promise. Yeah, mm. right? But here I am. I have the gift of right now. I'm still here. I get to do something. Yeah. So I'm going to try those things. I'm going to do something and try and do it well. And do something about it. Right? right? Yep. And so I just want to point that out. I mean, it's, it's, it's a deep-rooted gratitude that I want to express. And I don't know if it's going to spark anything in other people, but... Even if you get one. Yep. Then it's worth it. Yes. Yes. So again, I just want to thank everyone for their time um, and attention. Um, it's a responsibility I don't take lightly. Thank um, you, everybody. On uh, another note, uh, I really appreciate the iTunes reviews. A handful of you have asked to go do them. I always feel uncomfortable asking for <laughs> iTunes reviews because they do help. They help. They help. But what do they help? Because I always ask, like, what? If I'm asking for iTunes reviews, I feel like, and this is not my intent, I'm not asking for you to write something so I can read it and I can feel awesome. It's to communicate to other people. Right, yeah. I guess it's a way of uh, help this expand to other people that may need it. And also sometimes people don't understand how the system works. So you're yeah. just communicating that there is a system out there and then by joining in the, in the fight, you help us spread the word. Uh, so... There you go. iTunes reviews. Also check out Julian's new podcast. Tete a tete. Did yep. I say that right? Tete a tete. Yeah. Which I had to look up. It's obviously. Yeah. 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 For like a <laughs> private, meaningful conversation. Exactly. Um, it's on iTunes. You also have the YouTube channel. Yep. If you want to watch the videos, they're there. I found it. I found it easier for me. The YouTube. Yeah. It's funny. Well, I spend more time in cars, most, you know, obviously. Yeah. No, 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 um, plus it's a thing. But it's like, I have a problem when Yaya read me stuff, I always have to read it myself or watch it. It's funny. Well, it's the way you learn. Yeah. Me, uh, way, way better, yeah. Yeah. I learn. Like, words, words are a problem for me always, so. Yeah, I, I, that's how I was in college. Like, I'd listen to, I'd listen and try and learn what the professor was telling, but then I'd have to go read the I book. struggle so much, yeah. Like, transcripts. Audio I've, books? I don't nah, know. I don't do it. I, I need transcripts. I need to read. Yeah. What is that? I, it must be a visual thing, I guess, but yep. Right, let's see if we can figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of books, um, two things, two challenges that I'll throw out for you. One is, and I know you know this, go visit your brother. Yep. And number two, start writing books. Yes. That one is harder. I've been, I've been pondering that one for a year at least now. So you've been writing your book for a year. You just yeah. haven't started. 
Yeah, exactly. Like it's a, uh, I start and then it's, it is so energy consuming. But I just haven't found the, the correct uh, mind frame for it yet, I guess. Where I'm not, you know, I've not put the gun to my own head and go, okay, take action. So I'm still in a, in a flight mode when it comes to that. I, I just so, have to look in the mirror one day and then just make it uh, something. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm there. I can relate. I've thought about doing it with a lot of the concepts. I've actually even already wrote a, written a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the hesitation I have is I don't know if I want to uh, invest emotionally in that yet. There's that as well. It's once you start to put your words on paper, it's uh, you feel very much naked. That's a lot of you you put in mm -hmm. there. I mean, and hmm, yeah, it will so, happen. So I would struggle that part. I'm like the vulnerability. I'm good. I realize yeah. like that's where the vulnerability strength comes from. Yeah. I mean, like it, I, I don't know. Some point in time I went through a journey and I realized that I'm okay. I'm happy and I suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, I suck. I'm always learning. Yay. I'm okay. Yeah. The problem I think the struggle I have is can I have my intention in my brain the what I, my thoughts and feelings, can I find a way to articulate those in an organized fashion that is satisfactory to me? 70%. You're not going to go past that. Like I was talking to writers mm -hmm. and they said, dude, I get to 75. I'm ecstatic. First draft, 35. They're, like the dude was like, you could tell how much contempt he had for his first drafts of anything. And he's just rewrite it until he get to 75, 80%. He'll never be able to write what he truly wants. I was like, oh, that's heartbreaking. I don't know if I can take that. Yeah, like yeah. putting my words on paper and it's 75% of what I want to say. And it's, I, I'm afraid of the judgment I'll pass on it. Well, good. Do what scares you. Yeah. Well, that is true. Right? That's <laughs> that is true. true. That is true. I can tell you this. You're going to do it. I agree. I agree with I that too. I know you enough. Yes, like, exactly. You're going to do it. No, no, it will so happen. Over here, yeah, BSing, exactly. You might as well it. go for it, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Just, or at least start Stop bullshitting. And, like, yeah. if, you, if you have an idea that pops up of like a chapter or something, put like, start making a note somewhere. Have a yeah, pad. Yeah. Have a book. I started that. Uh, okay, I have good. that on the, on the iPad, like, you know, that notes and everything at work. And with any device that I have, I can follow on that. Yep. And these random ideas for chapters that pop up here yep. and there. Yep. Well, good. Because then I think, you know, there's coaches that help with us, help with this. You have a big old board yep. and you start just, you know how, you just that's, like you that's put That's the way I system. do it best is, yeah, is the chalkboard. All right. I look forward to reading it. Well, and I, I look forward say, to, to writing it. I look it. forward to reading them. <laughs> there you go. That'd um, be awesome. Strong Fit One. On mm -hmm. Instagram. Yep. Strongfit.com. And that's it. Not strong fit. No, that's an old joke, but <laughs> she's still mad, by the way. Uh, at strongfit. I'm still on blocked and she's still mad. Um, the website looks great, by the way. It's better. We make progress slowly but surely. I'm also super impressed by how it, the, the transcendence of it being a physical location like in torrents yeah. with stuff into a culture and, and uh, psychological and a, movement. Yeah, and a tribe. That's what yeah. made me really happy. Like the coaches on my mentoring program, I'm really proud of. Like they, you know, they're doing something, changing their lives, literally, uh, doing their own stuff and everything. That, that made me proud. 
very proud of the mentoring program. Yep. Well, um, tell your daughter I said hello. Yep. Oh, she knows I'm, I'm talking to you. Oh, good. She said hello too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and give Tyler a big hug for me. Will do. Um, and you guys can follow the show at the Sisu Way and the Sisu Way.com. I'm at one Scott McGee. Um, one of the little challenges I'm going to throw out to you is because I tend, I've noticed I tend to do little challenges on this, on this show is to read, go study something. Yes. Go learn something. Um, and also if you, if you want to read something short, but will uh, have a spark, a big idea in you is read the writing and read the messages on, um, the CCUA Instagram, but also go on to Julian's Instagram page at StrongFit one and look at and read his writings. Instagram isn't just a picture thing. It's a message thing. Uh, another thing I'm working on, little announcement, is I'm going to start making t-shirts. Now, good. the t-shirts to me, it's not just about a t-shirt and what looks good and what sells. It's about representing an idea and a message that happens to be on a t-shirt. And so the one I want to start with is not just um, a CCUA t-shirt, but a theme. And so the first one is going to be strength is a choice. And so I'm going to be, got to finish up the artwork for that and hopefully done by the holidays. So everyone can get some a Christmas shirt. So more on that to come. Um, and if you don't mind, I'd like to end with a quote from Chris Moore, uh, Barbara Buddha. And this is a quote that actually helped me move on from the podcast. And, and putting my primary focus into this. And obviously there's a lot more connections there. And so Chris says, do what's important to you right now. Follow the energy, work as hard as you can with all the quality you can manage so you can make an impact. Remember, health is wealth, vulnerability is strength. Strength is a choice. You are the master of your fate you are the captain of your soul. So get up strong, help others get up strong, and be unconquerable.